Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is the Dirty Daddy, Chris Dickinson here, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job. Out and bury all the frauds from Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'ma chill and let them have it, cause this is just an intro. Keeping the strong style six stars from the get go, boy. Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome, this is Keeping It Strong Style with your hosts, Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Joshua Smith. And thank you for listening. Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Donovan here with the young boy, Josh Smith. On today's show, we'll review Hyper Battle, preview Windy City Riot, and cover all its news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. We have features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I think I can uh, sum up that. 
the answer to that question with one audible sound. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Crack up I a cold am, one. Uh, I'm cracking up a cold one for uh, the working man. You know. <laughs> um, actually, this is a Blue Moon. That's the brand you like, right? Yes, I do like Blue Moon. Yeah, so I got myself Blue Moon, but I got the Light Sky Citrus Wheat. Okay, this is like four percent alcohol. It's got let's see, three point six grams of carbs, ninety five calories. We're going low cal because Jeremy Donovan's getting married soon, and I gotta watch these pounds. Okay, I gotta get fitted. All right, I can't be out here, you know, packing on, packing down you know, the heavy <laughs> carbs. I gotta, I gotta keep it low for my boy. You know what I'm saying? Can't, can't be out here drinking the the Broken Skull IPAs. Yeah, no, I don't like IPA. Well, I can drink IPAs, but I don't really. I don't know, they taste terrible. <laughs> Actually, I've never had this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try this live in the air. I'll let you know. All right, what well, live taste testing here of this uh, new Blue Moon gimmick. Yeah, it's like uh, if you took a really good Blue Moon and then you like mix, you know, you mix it with like some dishwater, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but it's got like you know orange dawn um, mm. soap. Yeah. So it's still got some of that like floral aroma. It's it's not bad. Okay. It's not great either. <laughs> what what's the star rating? This is a solid three. Three G- star. Gentleman three. The Cody. <laughs> the three star savior rating. The Cody Rhodes. <laughs> oh man. I I gotta tell you, bro, I don't wonder I know this is off subject, but I just wanna broach the subject. Were you that impressed with Cody and Seth Rollins? Because I was, and I don't understand people that would call that match a classic. It's like they never watched Sheena. I mean, I, <laughs> I thought it was a good match for WWE standards. I think I went about four stars on it. Um, Do I? Do I? <laughs> uh, I? I thought it was a solid match from both guys, especially compared to everything else on both nights at WrestleMania. I thought it was, you know, a, a good matchup now. You know, Dave going four and a half and some other people's going, you know, pretty high on it. I'm like, okay, maybe in my opinion, I think that's high. But if people enjoy the match that much, good for them. Jeremy, the consummate politician, giving people the straight middle of the road answer, not trying to offend anybody. I'll tell you guys, that match sucked. <laughs> hey, I'll- Actually, you know, I will say this. Um, after a few sips of this uh, Blue Moon, it's actually not that bad. It's kind of gross. When you compare it to like other light beers in the same like, you know, range, it's it's really it's probably better than say like a Bud Light or something like that. You know, gotcha. So not bad. I I know you're thinking of uh, you know I know you're not like a big drinker, but uh, you know next time you're out, you might want to get one of these instead of the uh, the classics. You know. Yeah, I'll give I'll give it a try. Nice. Well, we had a crazy week. Bunch of uh, bunch of big shows. We got another big show coming up bunch of news items i mean it's been a stacked week um, yeah there's, it feels like it's been a while since we've had a, a week this busy in a while yeah like you mentioned tons of shows to talk about a lot of stuff to review a lot of new stuff so let's uh dive into everything here i think the first big thing we've got to talk about we had uh hyper battle this past saturday april 9th in sumo hall a uh, big card here we'll run down the card talk about the matches the angles the promos and everything that's building up from the results of this card. So the show opened. Also, also, Jeremy, I watched the backstage comments. Oh, wow. Yeah, 
I'm all in on this one. Fully <laughs> committed. And you know what? They furthered a lot of the storylines. This wasn't like your typical, you know, oh, they, they said some funny, interesting stuff, but it's kind of ancillary. No, there was like actual forwarding of the storylines that you needed to see in this particular events backstage comment. So I was like, oh, damn, I'm glad I watched this. <laughs> nice. Let's start off with the opening contest here. So the show opened up. We had the Gorillas of Destiny, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa teaming up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Jado, and they defeated the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Chase Owens, Gato, and Yujiro Takahashi, 10 minutes and 28 seconds. And this was a uh, pretty big win. If you've been following the story here, the G.O.D. slash Hantai team teaming up with Tanahashi and Jado, they've been failing over this past tour to defeat the Bullet Club team, and Bullet Club has been getting one up on these guys every step of the way. But finally here, this uh, team of G.O.D., Jado, and Tanahashi were finally able to get the win here. And it was Jado, the guy who's been the one who's been eating all the pins in these multi-mine matches. He's the one that he locked uh, Gato in that crossface and Gato tapped out. Yeah, this match was, um, you know, for an opener. Um considering the guys that were involved with this and the story that's been going on, if you've watched a lot of the like preview tags, uh, there was nothing really here that was surprising. We kind of called it on the, uh, the preview episode last week that we thought of this would be the time where Hontai finally gets the big win that proved to be the case. And, um, you know, I think the big talking point for this match was seeing Tamatonga and Tangaloa. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I can't remember. Did they walk out with the, um, Lion Mark shirts on, or did they get presented with those post-match? It was post-match. So on the okay. the Road 2 show before, Jado did wear a Lion Mark shirt. Right. Uh, but, um, and then, but this night, they all were wearing like, their G.O.D. shirts. And then after the match, um, like Jado, had, he had his shirt. He put it on, and then Tanahashi had two Hontai shirts, and he handed them to uh, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, and they both put them on. Right. Now, before I get to that, uh, just speaking of the match itself, you know, nothing blow away, nothing crazy. I'd probably go sub three stars. It was fine. But, uh, you know, 10 minute opener. This was the big payoff to the story that they've been telling over the last two tours. And finally, Hantai was able to pick up a win and kind of overcome the uh, all the shenanigans that Bull Club and uh, Gato were kind of throwing at G.O.D. and the Hantai crew. I did like the finish where everybody on the Hantai side ended up putting everybody in the bull club side into a cross face. Mm-hmm. We see that kind of uh, setup oftentimes in these matches, but it's usually not a finish. It's usually, usually like a really funny kind of just like uh, spot where everyone's like in the, you know, in the submission hold, but then eventually the guy that's supposed to, uh, you know, the legal guy, he usually gets out and everyone eventually gets out. It just kind of builds to the finish, but here that wasn't really the case. It was literally the definitive finish. And, uh, you know, seeing, you know, Gato tap out was probably very uh, satisfying for people that have been following this storyline. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, we've been talking about this, that the domestic crowd seems very bought into this storyline or very excited when Kanahashi handed these guys the Hantai shirts. And, yeah, it definitely seems like, you know, I think a lot of people might not be into it, um, across the board, but I do feel like at least the domestic audience is very into it in this idea of, you know, this long time partnership of Jado and Gato being broken up. And then also 
the fact of Tamatanga Tangaloa, um, you know, accepting the lion mark and becoming a part of the home team. Yeah. I mean, I could see why, um, you know, like say U S audiences and international audiences might not be as into this because I mean, there's not a lot of great wrestling taking place to really sink your teeth into, but that's not the point of this story. The point of the story is to get, um, god over as accepted entities on the hauntai side and kind of establish them so that moving forward they can transition into actual meaningful matches and actual meaningful feuds whether that be in singles or tag roles we don't know uh we did get an inkling of it later in the show but that's been the whole setup here so i think for a lot of people that are like sort of tapped out of new japan and tapped out of anything bull club or house of torture jason i i get their reasoning there but the reality is this is a very hot uh program on the domestic side every single domestic audience is is eating this up and i think that for those of you that are kind of coming into it with an open mind and watching it with an open mind you're actually seeing something kind of special unfold i think because god seem to be thriving in this position and, um, you know, provided they continue to kind of guide them the right way, I think this is going to be, uh, you know, an awesome next step for them career-wise, hopefully. Right, and this will not be the last that we saw of G.O.D. on this show. We'll talk about that, but this definitely, you know, set the seeds for what was to come with G.O.D. later on in this show. Yeah, during the post-match comments, both, uh, you know, Tama and Tangaloa, they both really emphasized, like, what it meant to them being presented with the lion mark shirt and you know transitioning away from representing the bull club and you know accepting a role as a good guy and as a defender of the company and everything like that and um you know tangaloa was good in that position but tama like i kind of believed him almost i mean i, I might be getting worked here but he's like 10 years 10 years <laughs> since i've worn this shirt and like you know, Tanahashi came out and like congratulated him. And so they're kind of really giving them the seal of like, and I think that this is the way they're going. I don't think they're going to do a swerve, but like my Western mindset is like, if they wanted to do a swerve, this is the perfect setup for one. And I don't, no one's talking about seeing it coming. And like, I just kind of want to like hedge my, uh, my bets a little bit and be like, they could swerve us off this and it might work, but I don't think they are. Yeah, I've seen a few people mention that uh, the potential of this being like an ultimate swerve to get <laughs> get back at Tanahashi for whatever reason, but I don't know. Like, I just don't think like it, it would really make a ton of sense. Like, I feel like they're done a really good job of building up uh, Tamatonga and Tangaloa as baby faces, and it creates a whole fresh coat of paint for those guys. It opens up some new potential matchups, and right. it just it, it's just something interesting happened. So, if it does become a swerve, I think it'd be pretty dumb and we just kind of set things back to the way they were right and and the good news here is for those who haven't been thrilled with the matches themselves this was the final piece of this part of the story and now god are kind of free to go on and do other things and the guys that were in the bull club they're free to go on and do some other things we'll get to that later yeah so let's move on to the second match here. We had the LIJ team of the Dragon Shingo Takagi teaming up with Tetsuya Naito. They defeated the United Empire team of Aaron Hanare and Will Ospreay in 9 minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah, um, 
fine match, nothing like blow away here. You know, I think we got a little bit of a tease of Will and Shingo and Will and Naito. Um, but, you know, I don't think it was anything super definitive. Um, Shingo did, you know, Shingo's been doing interviews and been talking about how he's setting his eyes on other prizes. He's been saying that since like January, since he dropped the IWGP heavyweight title. And, um, you know, there were people that were hoping that it would be like the GHC title or maybe he was going to go to AEW, you know, something really illustrious like that. And people have just kind of been trying to figure out what it is, what prize he's discussing and talking about. Well, it seemed like here he tried to somewhat tease that maybe he'd be interested in going after the Rep Pro British title. But, um, you know, Will didn't seem to be too keen to even go down that road with him uh that might be a tease for later on i I, it looks like they're doing other things with that title but i did want to make note of the fact that he did make overtures to try and potentially challenge for that title and so i don't know if that's like setting something up for later on down the road also osprey talked in his post-match comments about how him and naito have never wrestled in a singles match now we've been saying that on this show for years i think three years now but it's starting to become like something that's coming to public light where people are realizing like, oh, I guess those guys never have wrestled. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, one thing I do want to note, on the way to the ring, Osprey uh, did tweet out a video of uh, John Moxley's wife, Renee Paquette, uh, a video he edited of her saying that she was excited about Will Osprey. Um, also, that is building to the Windy City Riot match this Saturday of the main event, John Moxley versus Will Ospreay, and then um, a couple listeners here also have pointed out the uh, Rev Pro, you know, Shingo's eyes on the Rev Pro belt. So we have a couple questions here. So Reddit user Viking Pain says, I recall Ospreay saying in one of his interviews that he was going to rechristen the Rev Pro British Heavyweight Championship as the IWGP British Heavyweight Championship. Will that actually happen, or will it go the way of the Chaos Mole storyline? Well, first off, that's a great question, but let me just ask you, Jeremy. Um, I saw that he tweeted something to Renee Paquette, and I saw like <clears throat> that Rocky even was like, I hope this guy gets his ass kicked. What what was the video? Was it something that he took out of context from her uh, from her podcast? Yeah, so she has her podcast, Oral Sessions, and I guess um, at some point they were talking about Will Ospreay. And he cut it up to where it made it look like she said that she's excited about Will Ospreay. (laughs) That's heel shit. That's funny. (laughs) I love the one video where he said, Oh, I love Joshi Pro Wrestling. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so yeah, the thing with the Rev Pro British IWGP deal, I think that wasn't something that was ever intended to be taken seriously. I think that was just like an offhanded comment that he made to garner heel heat and and it did because you know people in england and the uk were like fuck you no it's the rev pro title right and i think as long as rev pro is still a functioning promotion i don't think they're going to slap the iwgp branding on it now if it was like a situation situation where maybe the company was folding or wasn't going to cease operations anymore maybe new japan would be interested in button absorbing that title but i think as long as rev pro exists it will still be the rev pro title you know, one thing that's interesting, too, is um, New Japan hasn't really booked anything for that title since Will Ospreay won the belt from um, Zack Sabre like two years ago, like pre-pandemic. Um, I do I do know that they're still 
like loosely affiliated, but you know, the whole IWGP conception has been thrown into uh, you know, dismay with COVID and everything like that. Plus with ROH sort of going under and then being resurrected and bought by AEW, the, the, the entire union is kind of very precarious. And I, I do remember there was an interview recently where Will said he's the only thing that's been keeping the ties between uh, New Japan and RevPro even going. So, you know, I think that's another interesting thing to take note of because there was a time where it literally felt like the British title was like a fourth singles heavyweight men's belt. And now it's never, I mean, it's featured on the show because he carries it out, but they've had no matches for it in like over two years. Yeah, I think part of that is uh, due to pandemic because I mean, we are going to see Osprey and Suzuki coming up sometime here soon for the Rev Pro title. So I right. think as borders open up and it's easier for people to get back and forth places, I think we will start seeing potentially more British title matches in New Japan. Hopefully, I mean, I, I I've always thought that that was a very good partnership for both companies, and um, I'm not saying that they don't have ties. Obviously, they've got we've got Young Lions over there, and we've seen some. Uh, some interactions, but it's been a lot lessened over the past couple of years than it was pre-pandemic, and so maybe you're right. And then the uh, Reddit user, the Dark Soldier, says, given Shingo eyed at the Rev Pro title after the tag match, could this be a setting up for a future title match at Dominion or even a U.S. or U.K. show? Heck, could Shingo win the KOPW trophy, Osprey win the U.S. title, and have the big winner-take-all match? I say this because that's just what wrestling does now, winner-take-all matches. But here it's three instead of two. <laughs> um, you know, you never know. Um, my personal opinion was like when I saw that, I did think, hmm, maybe a breadcrumb for down the line, but it doesn't seem to be something that's being set up in the definite or immediate sense. And what goes on with Shingo and the KOPW title later on in the show makes a lot more sense in this in the fact that like He's kind of out of the world title picture. He's out of the U.S. title picture. The never title would kind of be a step down because he's already kind of conquered that area. You know, he's not a junior anymore. What's the one, like, prize that's sort of sitting out there that's within the confines of New Japan? Well, it's like the Red Pro title. He made overtures, and Will doesn't seem to be interested at all. And it's not like Red Pro's going to mandate him to defend against Shingo, who has maybe never i can't remember if he if he has wrestled for rep pro it's been very sparingly so uh that kind of cut him off and it gives him no path to gold thus the kopw route becomes viable for him later on in the show so that's what i thought the whole point of that was but it would be interesting if later on this does potentially lead to some sort of kop or some sort of a british title match down the line, but I wouldn't count on it because it does. This doesn't seem to be your typical, you know, Shingo coming out and doing the belt symbol and like pointing to the sign. And you know, they're clearly yeah. going to have a match. This didn't seem to be that. This I think this is more of a setup for now for the KOPW story. Yeah, I, I do think it's kind of some breadcrumbs or at least playing the seeds for something that's to come later on. Obviously, Osprey has his hands full right now. He's going to face Tanahashi down the line. He's going to do. Face um, Moxley this weekend. He has a Suzuki match coming up. So Osprey right. is kind of busy right now. So I think down the line, like like uh, Dark Soldier, I think said, you know, Dominion. Um, we know that's a big stage. Maybe that's something they do there, or who knows? Maybe they even hold it off till Wrestle Kingdom. 
I don't think it's going to happen right away, but I think they were just kind of planting the breadcrumb. So for, you know, people who are really paying attention, like us and our listeners, they're, they're kind of catching that. And when it comes up, it's not going to be surprised when it happens. Well, the way I took it was that, like you said, yes, it could be a potential breadcrumb situation. It also could just be a throwaway. They did it casually and light enough to where if a year from now they decided to, to run that, it, if, if that was even viable at that point, then they can throw it into a video package. And if they never go back to it, you know, it's just whatever it is, you know. But I didn't feel like it was anything 100% set in stone the way that typical title challenges are for, like, long-term stories. Right. So after that match, we had the first title match of the evening. The IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team titles were on the line. The champions, six or nine, Master Wato, Risuke Taguchi, they retained. They defeated Bullet Club's cutest tag team, El Fantasmo and Taiji Ishimori, in 15 minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah, um, the match was fine. Um, 15 minutes might have gone a little long for my liking, especially since this wasn't necessarily your classic high-octane like junior-style match. But for what it was, it was good. I'd probably go like three and a quarter, maybe three and a half at most. I probably wouldn't even go that high, honestly, but it was fine. Um, not a big fan of the finish. Uh, they did the classic, you know, Taguchi does the roll up and gets his pants pulled down and, you know, puts his ass in someone's face and, you know, beats them with a roll up pin while they're being like stink faced. And, you know, that shit's kind of disgusting to me. I don't, I'm not a big fan <laughs> of that whole, uh, aspect of uh taguchi's deal i mean if if you like the ironic bullshit wrestling you probably like that i don't know um but you know six or nine they retain here i think we both thought you know bull club's cues tag team might win just because you know they hot potato those belts around but that doesn't seem to be the case match was fine uh for what it was i think it was slotted perfectly on the show though yeah i thought the match was I thought it was a good match. I'm about three and a half range. Um, you know, there, there was a lot. You mentioned a lot of shenanigans. There was uh, Team Six or Nine ending up in a 69 position at one point in the match, and I'll see uh, Chris Charlton and Kevin Kelly with a lot of 69 kind of jokes uh, along the line there too. Uh, but overall, I thought you know there was some good action here, and like you mentioned, Taguchi picking up the win there with the uh, roll up of his uh, tights being exposed and his ass in ELP's face and. We do learn down the line that uh, Doki and Kanamaru are going to be the next challengers, which makes sense because I do remember those guys teaming up um, earlier in the tour and getting a win. And Kanamaru had pinned like Bushi and Chinga and uh, Bushi and Chingo in a tag match. So um, if I thought more about Doki and Kanamaru being the next setups, maybe I would have gone with uh, six or nine retaining. Uh, but yeah, overall here, good matchup and champs retain. Well, we talked about it on the pre-show. There's not like a, a large list of, you know, established junior tag teams, but they can throw together any two juniors at any time and, you know, create a tag team. And so you're right. Those guys were tagging. This is one of those things where if you didn't see the post-match comments, it makes less sense. But once you saw the backstage comments, what ended up happening was um, Bull Club's Q's tag team pretty much blew off the whole thing. Um, you know, ELP was like, dude, it's been like, over a year, 82 weeks where I'm literally living out of my uh, suitcase. You know, I, I haven't been home in, in literal months. I'm just going from the States to Japan, to Europe, to Japan. And then he's like, I'm going to be back here in like just a couple weeks. And I'm just, he's like, and why? 
for the junior tag titles. I don't give a fuck about the junior tag titles. He's like, that's not why I'm doing this. He's like, Ishimori, you care about the junior tag titles? <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so they like literally just buried the whole thing. Like, let's just go after the IWGP junior title. He's like, yeah. They're like, all right, so super juniors, you win your block, I win my block, we fight each other, right? He's like, yeah, that makes sense. So <laughs> they kind of blew the whole thing off. But when team six or nine came to do their interview, boom, jump zone. Uh, Kanemaru and uh, Doki were all over them. Satori special and or whatever he calls it, you know, they hit him with the uh, the whiskey and, you know, the, uh, Doki's pipe was laid uh, all over them. And they, they were just, uh, you know, kind of fucked up and it was really really funny they just got jump zone and you know um uh, like the suzuki goon jr guys were like making it very clear that they're going to be the next junior title challengers and then when they walk away like uh Taguchi was like what was that about <laughs> i have no clue why they did that to us that was not clear at all why they attacked us just now god i wish they would have said what it was that they were intending when they hit us why did they hit us uh, so weird. Well, I wonder who our next title challengers are going to be anyways. And it's like, maybe it will be Fujita and... And, uh, <laughs> and Oiwa. And Oiwa. He's <laughs> like, you guys are young lions. Muster up some fighting spirit. Come fight us. We will we will put these titles on the line against you two. And he's <laughs> like, unlike those other jerks who attacked us and then said nothing, made it very unclear why they attacked us at all. <laughs> So like basically like Taguchi's just completely no selling the whole attack, being like, "Damn, that was so weird. Why would they do this to us?" <laughs> like not putting two and two together that like they clearly are intent like making their intentions known that they're the next challengers. Like he's just playing aloof about the whole thing. Like, oh god, that was so weird. Well, I wonder who the next guy's going to be, anyways. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so that was the angle they did. they did a lot of angles like that during the backstage stuff. It's kind of interesting. Nice. Well, uh, next matchup here, we had the provisional KOPW title match, the no-rope ring-out match, and we have a new KOPW provisional trophy holder, Taichi, defeats Toriyanu, 4 minutes and 18 seconds. So this was not a full-on traditional sumo wrestling match because Taichi... He did not want to uh, disrespect uh, sumo wrestling, but it was there was no ropes and it was uh, ring out rules, so you had to throw your opponent out the ring to win. Yeah, and it was interesting because we were wondering about like, well, what are the rules? Is it like strict sumo rules and like these guys were out there throwing, you know, leg kicks, strikes, <laughs> strikes, and forearms? It's like clearly this is not, you know, straight up sumo rules. They did give them like sumo style sashes but they didn't like get up in the full garb they didn't throw the salt you know so it, it wasn't again they were in sumo hall so i mean that's like one of the national like key arenas for sumo wrestling in in japan in period like period so i think they could have gotten some flack if they'd done something disrespectful you know yeah uh taichi did have a pretty dope robe uh sumo robe for his uh entrance and like you mentioned, I mean, you know how I feel about those. Like, I think you and I both need keeping a strong style kimono. So, <laughs> yeah, I think that that'd be a hot like ticket item if we ever sold those. Oh yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and also we had uh, Mio Abe making her uh, return here, accompanying uh, Tai Chi to the ring for this matchup. So that was always always good to see. Uh, yeah, they kept it short 
four minutes, nothing crazy. You know, it's kind of a comedy-esque match, but uh, at the end of it, when it got serious, I mean, you know, Taichi just kind of dumped Yano out of the ring, which he deserves because, you know, he sucks and he's gone. And this man Taichi, like, made some declarations post-match letting people know, like, uh, this is not going to be your typical KOPW like you're used to. I'm going to raise this thing to the main event level and actually make this title worthwhile, which is something that nobody ha- that's held that title has ever said. Not Suzuki, not Yano, not Chase Owens. Right. Yes, he wants to make it, you know, a main event thing. He then uh, calls out the dragon Shingo Takagi, pretty much saying, you know, Shingo, you have nothing going on right now. Why not challenge me for this KOPW trophy? Uh, which later we do find out that match does get uh, made official. Uh, but that was kind of the closing angle here. Taichi celebrates. He uh, throws a challenge out. Uh, so we have several questions here uh, about this matchup and the post-match well, angle. Before we get to that, during the backstage comments, this was another big sort of angle. So they did have a face-to-face altercation with um, uh, Yano and – or I'm sorry, with Taichi and uh, – Shingo Takagi, where Shingo, like, pretty much came out and he's like, you think, like, you can, like, elevate your career off my name, off the hard work I've done just because I'm a former world champion and you're not? And he's like, you know, you think this is a joke? You think this is a game? You think I'm going to play with you? He's like, I'm not going to play with you. He's like, I'm going to fuck you up. Like, <laughs> And then Taichi just kept, like, laughing him off and basically being like, whatever, whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it. And they, they kept teasing that they're going to have an island deathmatch. I don't think they're going to actually do the island deathmatch, but they... <laughs> literally kept saying like we'll do it in uh, i forget the name of that island it's like gunjibai or whatever he's like we'll do it in gunjibai we'll do it in gunjibai he's like i got all night we'll do it wherever <laughs> whenever but um like shingo was like oh i'm gonna come up with a stiff and you're gonna regret like doing this because the stiff i'm gonna come up with is gonna be tough and, it, and you're gonna get hurt you're gonna get hurt really bad and taichi is like listen you're the challenger i'm the champ you got to step to me. As long as it's in the main event, you're going to find out. He's like, this is not a game either. He's like, I'm raising, he's like, he's like, KOPW is not a joke. He's like, KOPW is in the main event now. <laughs> and then she goes like, if I win KOPW, I'm going to retire. It. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's kind of a win-win either way. Cause like if, uh, and not like in the ironic sense, when we always say with Yano, it's a win-win because it keeps it at the low level. It's like, if Taichi wins, I think he might actually like, do things that are worthwhile with it, which might be cool. And if Shingo wins it, he might just get rid of the whole thing altogether, which is also a very great option. (laughs) Yeah. So yeah, that'd be great. Uh, But yeah, a lot of questions here. So uh, first uh, Dom homie one one he says, which pro wrestling sumo fight was better? Tai Chi versus Yano at hybrid battle or big show versus Aki Bono at WrestleMania 21. I just got to say too, I love that the show is called Hyper Battle. I love the throwback names that they're using for all these events this year. Like that, that appeals to me. Yeah. Doesn't appeal to everybody, but like <laughs> for like older, like old school fans like me, like that's what I like. Um, yeah, I think, well, let me expand on this. You got those two. You got Yokozuna versus Earthquake on Raw. And then you've got Hulk Hogan versus the Giant in the sumo battle. Um on top of Kobo Arena with the monster trucks. Those are probably like the most significant sumo style matches in wrestling history. I gotta say, this might be the best one. Yeah, I think it was. And like we mentioned obviously not the full on traditional sumo match here, but like I mentioned, it was short, 
very simple, nothing too crazy. And so, yeah, I, I would probably go with this one over the uh, the big show, Akibono. Yeah. Oh, that, that one sucked. Yeah, it was really bad. I felt bad for Big Show. <laughs> uh, MDS PR says, are you interested in KOPW now that Taichi is the monarch? Yeah. Yeah. A lot more than I was with Yano. Yeah, I think with Yano, we kind of knew what we were getting, kind of the, the comedy shtick. We're, we're going to get some kind of blindfold gimmick, some kind of drinking gimmick, um, kind of your light opening card thing here. But with somebody who like Tai Chi, who has been you know, upper mid Carter, somebody who's gotten IWGB tile shots, who's done well in G1, the New Japan Cups, it def- especially with a first challenger like Shingo, it definitely makes things uh, more interesting. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is, could it still end up being a joke at the end of the day? Sure. But, um, you know, I'm fine with the idea of giving him a shot and letting letting us see, like, where that goes. Hopefully, if it is a true elevation, that might be something that's worthwhile in the company. Yeah. Uh, Viking Pain says, Tai Chi claims that he will elevate the KOPW trophy to main event worthy, but do you guys think that will actually happen? And how likely are we going to see a death match as one of the stipulations in the future? I recall Shingo saying he wanted to have a death match and Tai Chi called out Shingo to be his first defense. I think that could really happen, honestly. I mean, we, we've seen a, like, you know, I quit match and that's not that far from a death match. And we've seen Texas death matches, quote unquote, in New Japan over the past couple of years. Uh, and, you know, that stipulation has become a prominent one in AW, and there's a lot of kind of crossover between those two companies. So, I don't think that's outside of the realm of possibility at all. Yeah, I think they could definitely do that. It is going to be the main event of one of the Golden Fight Series shows, so that's an that's a interesting main event that you could do. Um, will Tai Chi ultimately raise this thing to higher levels if they keep giving him challengers like this and putting it in main event situations? I definitely think it could be elevated, but I also think it could be a Suzuki situation where we get all excited that somebody like Tai Chi wins and then maybe he gets like one or two good defenses and then it ends right back up with Yano. Now here's the only thing. And I want to pay attention because maybe I think we missed something with this question. He asked how realistic it is for the idea of a death match. You know, when I think a death match, my first initial thought is always going to be Texas death match or some, some similar style match. But then I realized like, Oh, he might actually mean like, Japanese style death match. What are the chances that they actually do like the light tubes and the skewers and all of that? Mm. And that's an interesting proposition because that is a possibility. Right. I mean, I, I think Captain Shingo, I feel like it's very versed in the style of wrestling that he he watches and would be interested in wrestling in. Um, so I definitely think we could see something along those lines. Uh, next question here from Les Commission 7252. Since this is the end of the Toriano KOPW run for now, do you guys think that the KOPW name will be built to bigger and better heights? I mean, maybe, maybe not. It's it's one of those things we just have to wait and see and see how it plays out. I know that's sort of a, a non-answer, but, uh, you know, I don't know how much equity the company's really putting into this concept. I mean, they might like what it is and where it is right now. And this is just kind of like a small diversion for the time being, you know, cause I mean, how off, how long can you do Yano in comedy matches? You can't do that forever. You kind of have to get off that track 
at some point, but uh, hopefully they go the, the way that we're all hoping they go and treat it with a little bit more seriousness and, and, you know, um, lend some credibility to the idea of what it is. Yeah. And like I've been saying, like, I'm excited that Tai Chi has it, but I'm not going to, you know, put all my hopes up and, and get super excited. Kind of like we got with Suzuki. We're like, all right, Suzuki's going to have the shoot matches or death matches or, you know, all these kind of crazy, you know, matches where he beats people up and then he immediately drops it back to Yano. And that, that could happen. Like, you could have, you know, Tai Chi retains against Shingo and then he has a rematch at Yano and Yano gets it back and we're just kind of back to where we are. That's very possible. Yeah. Uh, Dark Soldier says, Lord Tai Chi holds the KOPW trophy and given what he has planned, I'm excited. Is this what any title needs when it's poor condition? Give it to Tai Chi. <laughs> I mean, um, they did seem to do some wonders, him and Zach, for the uh, heavyweight tag titles when they had them. So, and I mean, I, I can't sit here and say that his never title runs were a bad thing or anything like that. I felt like he had some pretty good matches when he was never champion. So maybe he has a point there. I don't know. Yeah. Tai Tai Chi, man, just elevating everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, so after this matchup, we had a video package announcing the G1 date. So the video package said that the uh, New Japan's Legendary Summer Tournament will be coming back in its regular time slot beginning on July 16th and ending on my birthday, August 18th. So G1 is back to its regular schedule, uh, the big summer tournament here. Has some questions. Uh, Viking Payne says, I may be wrong, but it looks like the G1 this year may have more dates than usual. Could this be a sign that the blocks are expanding? For example, 11 men per block instead of 10. I believe Japan is listening to restrictions soon. Two and NJPW will have the ability to issue more work visas. And then similar question by, by Wiz Factor. Thoughts on the unusual number of nights for Best Super Juniors and G1. I didn't notice that. Did you notice anything? For me, I did not. No, to me, I, G1's always been a month long. Um, and maybe there are more dates and maybe they're trying to spread it out more. Um but I don't know, to me, I feel like G one's always a month long. So to me, it didn't seem like it was a an outrageously number more shows. Okay, so I'm looking right now, and it says 20 dates for the G one, which is exactly what I what it is every year, pretty much, right? I think so. Yeah. I'm just recounting because I'm not like great at math. So hmm. <laughs> even though I work in finance, bear with me. Well, shouldn't it be shouldn't it be like nineteen nights? Cause twenty you, nights. Because you have there's twenty nights. Uh, yeah, because I guess you would have the right. You would have the A block final, B block final, and the overall final would be the last three nights. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I thought it was always twenty nights. Is it yeah. not always twenty nights? Well, so you have ten people in a block, right? And so that's nine matches. Right, or nine nights of block action. Dude, you got to tell me because, uh, like I said, I'm not good at this stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I would have to look back at, at previous schedules, but to me it seems like it's the normal. Okay, I'm looking right now. Last year they had 19 nights, um, and that's typically, I guess, what they've been doing because most, like you said, yeah. So usually it's nine and nine or ten on each block, so... Yeah, so that's 18 
matches between the uh or 18 nights between the two blocks and then one final night so that is interesting i wonder what that means yeah and and i I haven't looked at the super junior dates i guess we didn't do the work we didn't do the research ahead of time um so maybe that could mean expanded field like maybe they have uh but that math doesn't add up if they expanded it by one person each night wouldn't that add even more nights than just one that's what i'm thinking yeah that's interesting. I don't know what that means. I guess we'll have to wait and see what they actually announce. But yeah, they've got twenty nights announced. Gotcha. Yeah, it seemed that yeah, that one extra night does seem kind of weird. But and maybe maybe it was a misprint. I don't know. I guess we'll we'll look back and see exactly what what it's going to be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe man, could could there be one block with more people than the other? maybe that's the only thing that sounds like it would make sense to me if that was the case like one block has 11 people and one block has 10 yeah but i i feel like why would they do that i feel like that's i don't know because maybe they've got like some people that they can't leave out you know what i mean Mm, yeah i don't know i'm just spitballing here i unless if they add more people they do more block matches in a night than usual to to make up for that for not not having to do a bunch of extra nights. Maybe I don't know. I guess we'll have to see. That, that's uh, that's a great point though, Viking Pain. I didn't even notice to be honest. I just always thought it was twenty nights. Yeah, same here. Well, uh, moving on in Hyper Battle, after this uh, G1 announcement, we have the Cole Skull Sonata coming out to vacate the IWGP United States Championship. So he comes out, cuts a promo, pretty much saying, you know, with his orbital bone injury, he's not going to be able to compete anytime soon. And uh, he wants to hand the belt over to the former champion, Hiroshi Tanahashi. And then when he's fully healed, he would come back and hopefully challenge Tanahashi for the title. We had Will. So there's actually that's actually not what he said. I listened. I I, because I I watched the action. That's what Chris Charlton said. I think was a mistranslation. He said that he was just vacating the title, and that he wanted Tanahashi to be the first person to win it Mm. because he wanted to beat Tanahashi for it. He wasn't offering to give it to Tanahashi. Um, which is what I thought was the original implication as well, but apparently, based on the the proper translations, he was only say, basically. I think he was just suggesting that Tanahashi should be like the first person nominated to fight for the vacant title. Essentially, gotcha. Oh, I feel like Will Osprey might have got the mistranslation too because he came out and was telling Sonata, "No, you need to give the belt to me. You can't give it to Tanahashi. I'm the one that broke your face, so I'm the one." who should be handed over the belt. Um, then Tanahashi comes out, and he confronts Osprey, tells him to shut up, cuts a promo in English, uh, saying that him and Osprey uh, should fight for the U.S. title. And we do find out that that match would be made official for May 1st, Wrestling Dontaku. Yeah, um, the Fukuoka Dome, or the I think they call it the, the Pepe Dome. Dome now. Yep. Um. That's a really big venue. New Japan hasn't run it in a very long time. And this is a marquee match. Uh, the last time that we had a match between um, Will Ospreay and 
Tanahashi, Will Ospreay was still a member of Chaos. He was still a junior heavyweight. And they wrestled each other in the final, well, in one of the final nights of G1. I think that was like almost three years ago. Um, I can't remember the exact specific date, but that was the night where Will Ospreay did defeat Tanahashi to kind of cap off a very successful G1 run for him. So during the post-match comments, he kind of made uh, notice of that. And he was like, dude, I already wrecked you years ago when I was a junior. And now I'm not even a junior. Now like, I'm ascended. <laughs> you think I'm not going to wreck you even worse? Like you're very delusional, essentially. Like you're, you're much older and I'm like bigger, faster, stronger, and more experienced. Like you're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Osprey's a uh, super Saiyan ascended now. Yeah. And then Tanahashi was like, man, the ace is going to ride again in the dome. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a match I'm, I'm really looking forward to and excited for. I mean, um, you know, we haven't seen these two guys really lock it up since that aforementioned match and uh you know tanahashi is always fantastic in those high pressure big you know big matches and you know wills at the top of his game i mean that's a that's kind of a dream match so yeah recipe for a great match so looking forward to that and we will talk about everything that's been announced for some dantaku in a little bit here so moving on we had our next title match for the never open weight title the champion evil he retains the title against Hiromu Takahashi in 15 minutes and 23 seconds. Yeah, so, um, you know, I might be alone here. I really liked this match. Um, this is the second time that these two guys have locked it up in recent um, times, and I've thoroughly enjoyed both of their matches. Um, you know, you could probably carbon copy a lot of the... Uh, statements i made about the match they had during the uh uh g1 or the new japan cup um just a couple weeks ago but yeah this match was very much in that style now yes there was shenanigans there was ref bumps there was interference from dick togo but it all happened in this extremely small vacuum you know they didn't overplay that stuff they didn't rely on that stuff as a crutch that was kind of more just um auxiliary things that were occurring in the midst of a very good match as opposed to a really good match was you know usually with with a uh, house of torture you'll have either a bad match or a good match doesn't matter and then they throw in the the house of torture bullshit and it ruins the match mm-hmm. it literally cuts it to a complete halt and just fucks it up and it's and then from that point you're like man this is terrible instead this was a little bit different where like the whole time, Hiromu's sort of outsmarting Evil. He's sort of outsmarting Dick Togo. Anytime it looks like they are getting the upper hand on him, it's only for very short periods of time. It's not like cutting the entire like momentum of the match off. And these two guys just work together brilliantly. Plus, they had to tease the entire night that at any moment, Hiromu could hit everything is Hiromu, I guess you could call the move now, the, the, uh, uh, the STO. And if he hits that on evil, like that might be it. And so that was always in play the entire time. They had some really great near falls at the end. I also loved the, the play uh, on the story where again, Hiromu comes out and he's got custom gear and it has the word evil written all over his gear. Like, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just bought into this story. And like, I really was pooling for Hiromu. I wanted him to win the never title. Alas, it did not happen, but this is the best. This is the best. Also, Oh, before I move on, 
evil is wrestling the way that evil wrestled before he joined the house of torture this is the only guy i've seen him work with where like i'm watching it and i'm like it's it's starting to click and dawn on me i'm like oh my god he's not doing the house of torture evil shit he's doing lij evil shit like all the setups all the like um pacings and 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 everything like this is the way he used to wrestle and like still do it he's just been choosing for the last two years not to do it and now he's doing it with Hiromu, and that's why these matches are coming off much better than anybody thinks they should be at all you know yeah um i i thought it was a good match i did not like this match as much as i liked the new japan cup match and maybe that has to do why because Hiromu lost <laughs> maybe it's, yeah maybe it's because Hiromu <laughs> lost um, but I did think it had a lot of great near falls. They did do a call back to the finish of the New Japan Cup where Hiromu pushed Togo off and he hit the everything was evil and he pinned evil New Japan Cup that way. But in this match, he pushed Togo off and he had uh, evil rolled up, but he didn't get the win here. But there was several great near falls of Hiromu doing his several, like a lot of the Hiromu roll up kind of things. And at some points, the ref would be distracted or out of the way and Hiromu would have evil pinned several times throughout the match. But, uh, just didn't get it when the referee was actually looking. Um, like you mentioned, Evil did kind of wrestle that kind of LJ style. We saw the you know the whole like the baseball chair spot that he used to do, and uh, a lot of the similar pacings. Even like the the, the assisted um, uh, magic killer with Dick Togo at one point in the ring, um, but Hiromu was able to reverse that. So um, really good back and forth matchup here. Um, wasn't quite as high as it as, as you were like the New Japan Cup match better. Um, I'm not going to complain here, but uh, Evil gets the win, and then uh, which leads to the post match. We had Tamatonga walking out to the ring and seemed like he was getting ready to challenge Evil before he could. Yujiro Takahashi came down and attacked Tamatonga from behind. So we had Tamatonga, Evil, and Dick Toko beating down uh, Tamatonga. Then uh, Tonga Loa came out and made the save, and GOD, they. Uh, Got the upper hand, and Tama eventually hits Evil for a big gun stun. Uh, he grabs the microphone and told Evil that he would get his revenge. Yeah, at the end of, um, during the post-match, um, Hiromu, he didn't cut a very long promo, but he was walking past the cameras. He's like, I'm very persistent, Evil. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the thing is, I think, um, and I'm, I'm not counting on, but if hypothetically they wanted Hiromu to be the guy to dethrone evil, they've kind of set it up perfectly. They might not go that way, but if like, let's say in two defenses, maybe, or maybe after the G1 or something like that, they wanted Hiromu to come back and and face evil again, like later in the year, or maybe even at like Wrestle Kingdom, that might be a good place to do this. Maybe you keep maybe you keep the title title on evil throughout the year and then come January you set it up for the big evil Hiromu you know trilogy match and you have Hiromu finally win it and then finally kind of step into those heavyweight ranks maybe that's what you do I would do that that way personally um who knows if they have the patience with the never title to do something like that but that seems like a pretty good story to tell yeah, I mean, that that is a great story, but to me, I feel there's a lot of uh, smoke to the Tamatonga fire right now, and I think they could potentially go with Tamatonga being the one to beat Evil, get some you know, revenge, more revenge on Bullet Club, and really kind of stick it to Jay White by winning the Never title. Yeah, um, and that's another really exciting thing that's occurring as well. So, like you said, post-match, 
you know, everything with, uh, with, um, Tamatonga occurs, you know, kind of coming out and making the attack and making the speech and everything like that. So, um, I don't know, like that is possible and that might be the play. Um, at the same time, I feel like long-term, if they really want to push Tama to a higher level, this isn't a bad place to start, but ultimately Jay White is the main prize. You know what I mean? And maybe the never title should get, maybe they should put the title on Tamatonga and he carry it into some sort of title altercation between himself and Jay White down the road, maybe pre G1. I don't know if there's enough time for that or post G1. Uh, it's hard to say, or maybe even in the States, you know, that uh, Windy City riot show or not Windy City, the, the Capitol, Capitol collision, collision show. Yeah. That might be a, a potential spot for them to to kind of do a match like that as well. So that's a possibility as well. Um, got a lot of options on the board, but I I think that the crowd was pretty receptive of Tamatonga when he came out representing Hontai, making, you know, kind of getting some come up and some evil and everything like that. And again, this is kind of the first time in this entire run of House of Torture where they feel like cohesive with Bullet Club too. Right, and you know, with the Sumo Hall crowd, we had a good-sized crowd here, and a lot of people, they were ooing and aahing and gasping throughout the night, and you, you did get a lot of oohs where uh, Tama Tonga hit that big gun stun on Evil, so crowd very happy, Tama being, being a part of Huntai, fighting off the House of Torture, sending Evil packing, so like I said, a lot of smoke to this fire here with Tama Tonga, and the push of these guys, you know, being Huntai and being babyfaces is uh, working. Well, let me ask you this. Do you think that Tamatonga right now is hot enough to survive a potential bullshit loss to uh, Evil if they did it in the right way? Or do you think that he needs that never title to solidify him? Uh, I don't know. I feel like you could kind of get away with it if you do have a kind of a schmoz house of torture finish. But I, I feel like he's so hot right now and... They've been eating a lot of losses on the multi-man match. This was the first multi-man match they got the win on on this show. I think it would help him to really get a big win over Evil. And then I kind of feel like it kind of shifts things for Jay White. And it kind of, because Jay White's kind of been on the upper hand here in the Bull Club side. Like, they've kicked those guys out. They've been winning the matches. And so I feel like this is kind of more of a piece for the Hontai team to kind of stick to Jay White by getting this never title. Yeah, I think there's two different booking philosophies there. I mean, uh, on the one hand, he does have a lot of sympathy and a lot of support from the fans. And so I don't know necessarily that um, putting the title on him is needed, especially since, um, you know, the conflict between him and Jay White is very personal and it doesn't necessarily revolve around, you know, titles and that sort of thing. At the same time, um, you know, you might want to go the opposite route instead of having him take losses to gu- to garner support and garner sympathy. You might want to start to build the swell of support by giving him key victories and putting a belt on him, especially since I don't think Tim Atonga's, in fact, I know he's never had a singles title win in New Japan before, and maybe that would give him even more vocal support and make him seem as a, uh, you know, credible threat to, you know, a top star like uh, Jay White. So, Hard to say. Um, I honestly think they could go either way. 
and that's kind of the the interesting thing here. I don't think he necessarily does actually need the title win. Yeah, um, I, I think I think they could get away. Like I said, if they did a, a smosh finish and it's a screw right. job, and you do build simply up that way. I'm just thinking for me, if it was yeah. if I had the book, I would put the belt on him. I would try and make him as big as possible. So when we do get that eventual Jay White match, it's not like main event Jay kind of facing a mid card Tamatonga. It's a upper mid card burgeoning main event Tamatonga facing a main event Jay White, and we're going to do some big business here. Another thing, too, though, um, to keep into consideration, G1 is around the corner. I think it's a lock that Tama's going to be in there. He's not this time going to be like the trial guy who's getting an alternate space that could be potentially knocked out next year. Like I think he is a solidified guy after last year's performance and his defection from Bull Club. Um, and, you know, oftentimes the guy that's kind of carrying the Never title gets booked pretty haphazardly, Yeah, you know, during that he might want to go into that G1 without that type, without the encumberment of the title. And maybe they should give him, I'm not saying like a Jeff Cobb t- type push necessarily, but you know, he probably needs like at least six, maybe I know it sounds crazy. Maybe seven wins in there to be seen as a real guy coming out of that tournament, especially when it comes to Jay. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing him go seven and two. Yeah, maybe the six and three. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm because I'm thinking I'm thinking they're adding guys into the tournament. Gotcha. <laughs> so yeah, no, like if it were like nine guys, if if there's nine matches, like six and three, or if they add guys like maybe like seven and four. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of questions here on this matchup. First, let's commission seven two five two says similar to the way Osprey went through. In 2019, do you guys believe in Hiromu to be in this year's G1 tournament? Hiromu has faced Ishii, Kenta, Suzuki, Shingo, and Evil, all heavyweights. That would also mean he'd be a replacement for Sonata in the G1 for LIJ and a new name place in this year's tournament. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, we've gotten this question from friends of ours personally on, you know, uh, just in general discussion. And I, I do have a tough time with that, mainly because... Normally, if if a junior is going to go into the G1, um, historically, they don't do so good in the G1, really. Uh, except for, like, Prince Devitt is, like, the one guy I can think of that's done exceptionally well. Uh, most of the guys that have come out of the junior division and competed in the G1 haven't done super hot. Um, and the other thing too is in most of those cases, they've usually kind of mopped the super juniors in the same year that they compete, you know? So like if they're seen as a credible enough threat to face heavyweights, they need to be like destroying the juniors at the same time. Out of the last five years that he's been in super juniors, he's won like four of them, I think. Is that correct? Something like that. Sounds sounds, like sounds about right, yeah. Where it's three out of four, it's something crazy like that. And he was the most recent winner. So it's like, okay, he's going to have to do really, really, really well in this year's Super Juniors, which I don't think anyone's doubting that he will. But I also kind of feel like maybe this year shouldn't be his year because we've told that same story with Hiromu going to the finals and you know either winning or losing and then coming back and winning the junior title year after year after year and they need something kind of fresh and new and to build somebody else other than him 
So, I mean, best case, let's say if he does compete in the G1, best case scenario, um, I guess would be he ties the point leaders but gets knocked out by elimination through a, a tiebreaker and doesn't make the finals, but he's still like one of the tip top like point earners in the super juniors. But then he gets to the G1. How well is Hiroma with his height going to actually do in this company? I mean, I can see him. I don't know. I'm just guessing here, Jeremy. You correct me if I'm wrong. Best case scenario, he goes 500 and maybe gets a big win over, like, let's say an evil or someone like that. I don't know. Yeah, I would say probably he would probably go like if it's a normal size, like four and five. Yeah, and I, yeah, four and five. I said 500 because I was thinking even number i am terrible with this stuff but yeah that's basically what i'm saying when i say 500 like four and five or five and four five and four would be like the absolute highest he could possibly do but i mean when you look at the history of the guys that have there have been prior to this six juniors who have ever competed takaiwa liger abushi um uh osprey osprey fergal devitt and then who's the sixth guy did I say Ibushi? Yeah. And Shingo moved up before he officially entered. Minoru Tanaka. That's right. Uh, Heat. Yeah, Heat. Minoru Tanaka is the other guy. And none of them have done exceptionally well. And all, the only ones out of them that have ever truly transitioned over to heavyweight were Ibushi and Osprey. And that was a very long and arduous process. They're all much bigger framed and taller than Hiromu is. You look at someone that's kind of more uh, contemporary to Hiromu, which would be like, say, Liger. The thing that always held Liger back was his height. He just didn't have the frame to be a heavyweight. They never booked him to be that way because he just wasn't tall enough. And, you know, I, I hopefully times have changed in New Japan, but the more things change, the more they stay the same. And, like, I know a lot of people want him to kind of make that full-fledged jump. I think that what I posed him going never first and going that route to potentially jump is the most likely scenario. And even that's a little far-fetched. I mean, they didn't do it for Kushida. I don't know if they'll do it for Hiromu. Hopefully his star power could carry him. But uh, I think it's something a lot of people are hoping for because what, what other stories are there for him at junior? There's not many. Yeah. And that's something we've been talking about in, in the build up to this never match of why it could have been a good option for him to, to win the never title because there is, um, not much more stories to tell with him in the junior division. Um, I'm not as big as, you know, on, on his height kind of thing. I feel like, I don't feel like his height is that short compared to some other people. Obviously guys like Okada kind of tower over him, but I feel like some other guys, like I, think, I don't think he's that much shorter than like evil. Um, and I do feel like there are times when Hiromu kind of packs on some size and does look, he's, he's a little bit thicker. Uh, at certain points of the year than he is um, maybe during like Super Junior or something like that. Um, and so I do think it could be a realistic transition at some point. I think the biggest thing is going to be who is who they're bringing over for the G1. The, the spots are already tight right now, and then with the potential rumors of them getting work visas and bringing other people over and bringing some new heavyweights into the game, do you want to push somebody out for Hiromu, or are you just leaving new spots open for new guys. 
Yeah, and I mean, if they're bringing over outsiders in any capacity, plus some of the guys they've elevated over the past couple of years, uh, it just it's such a tight field. That's the other hard part with it. Would I be opposed to it from just a pure entertainment standpoint? Absolutely not. I think Roma's fantastic. One of my favorite guys. And yeah, there'd be so many fresh matchups that we'd get with him. I mean, we saw what uh, when they put Osprey in the G1 the first year. And then remember, like when they brought in Shingo and Mox, I mean, anytime you get a, a new guy, it just really livens things up and, and makes for interesting matchups. But at the same time, you have to think about the business side of it. And like, is that going to be best for his character long term? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, next question here from Dom Homie 101. Is it me or did Evil vs. Hiromu over-deliver? Like I said, I, I did think it over-delivered. I do agree with you, Jeremy. I thought that the KOPW or the uh, New Japan Cup match was better than this. But I think a lot of what people didn't like about it was there was more Dick Togo involvement in this match than the previous one. And I think that because so much of that has happened this year, it's left a bad taste in people's mouth anytime it happens for me. I kind of try to block that stuff out and just judge it on its own merit. And the truth is, comparatively speaking, this was still very light on the heavy-handed cheating as opposed to a lot of Evil's other matches throughout the year. I thought they did over-deliver. Um, I, I liked this better than the first singles match they had a couple years ago still. So, yeah, I thought it was good. And um, was it a clean win by Evil? No, but for a guy that cheats as much as he does – this is the closest thing you could probably hope for to a clean win because he did get the STO out of nowhere and get the clean visual one, two, three, and they still made Hiromu look very, you know, strong in, in losing. So yeah, I thought it was a good match. I, I wouldn't like, it's not going to win match of the month or anything, but I liked it a lot. So what you're saying is you're like Fred Rosser and you, you block the hate when, when, Dick right. Togo, when Dick Cole comes out there. no, <laughs> I accept the hate. I'm like Kane. You're, you you embrace, embrace the hate. <laughs> I embrace the hate. Oh man, yeah. In my opinion, I didn't think it over delivered, but I mean, still a good matchup. So a good even match, I guess you can say that that is an over delivered because we haven't gotten uh, a ton of those since he's uh, been in House of Torture. Uh, next question here from Viking Pain says, "It looks like Tama is about to get the biggest push of his career of his upcoming feud with Evil and the Never Title." I'm actually excited for it. I enjoyed his work in the G1 last year. And surprisingly, I'm starting to like GD as many faces too. Thoughts? I think we've kind of given our thoughts on that. We've given our thoughts on it, yeah. I mean, they're they're giving them a, a really good push. The crowds are taking to them, and it's very exciting. And I'm excited to see what new routes they go with this group, whether that be singles or tags or a combination of both. They've got a lot of options in front of them. Yeah. Uh, Wiz Factor asks, he says, in light of Tamatonga wearing the Hontai shirt and giving Evil some fiery words before their title match at Dontaku, when was the last time Hontai had this much bad boy energy in their group? I don't know. I can't think of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. When was the last time it really felt like they had, like, I don't know. I don't know. I feel, since we've been doing this show, I don't really feel like they've had this kind of uh, edge or anybody in the group that's kind of like this kind of bad boy persona or just kind of, I don't know. I, I mean, it's not quite the same thing, but like, you know, we did wonder whether this group could form their own unit or not, whether they're going to be part of Hantai. I am still wondering if down the road, 
G.O.D. doesn't still become their own kind of subunit within Hantai, similar to, like, say, the Blue Justice Army when Nagata had his group. They were still, like, part of Sekigun, but they were also, you know, um, part of his group as well. And that kind of feels somewhat similar to this. I mean, they're, you know, that was pre-New Japan Dad Nagata, where he was still seen as, like, a title challenger threat. He was wrestling the likes of Nakamura and Tanahashi and all the guys at the top and sort of still kind of a badass. And I don't know, that's the only thing I can think of in, in the past, I don't know, 15 years that kind of reminds me of this a little bit. Nice. Uh, let's move on now to the tag team title match. The IWGP heavyweight tag team titles are on the line. The United Empire, Great Okan and Jeff Cobb. They defeated the champs, Bishamon, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi, 60 minutes and 5 seconds to become the new IWGP heavyweight tag team champions. Yeah, I thought this match was really good. Um, you know, it, it wasn't unlike many of the, uh, you know, matches that we saw during, say, like the World Tag League, especially with uh, this tandem in the past. But um, the match was very, very good. Um you know, it, I thought it was as clean a victory as you could hope for for heels like United Empire. They looked extremely don, dominant. Um, there was a, a a new variation of uh, what what's the move that um, that Great Okan does? Is it the Eliminator? Yes, the Eliminator. Yeah, he did a a new version of the Eliminator, which had like a pump handle uh, attached to it, which. I think I actually like better than the original variation. I'm kind of hoping maybe he adopts that as the final form of the move because I thought it looked really good. But, uh, yeah, I mean, they saw it. They destroyed. They cut, you know, this. They cut the Chaos Tag Team off and just made them uh, kind of um, ineffective all throughout the match. And ultimately, like, the dominance of both those guys, especially Jeff Cobb, like, it was just too much for them to overcome. They took the tag titles, and it's it's a new era. It's the United Empire era. Yeah, I really enjoyed this tag team match here. I thought it was really good, and I thought they did some really great near falls. And there's a sequence here towards the end where Yoshihashi, he hits a Canadian Destroyer on uh, Jeff Cobb. Goto comes in. They hit the Shoto, which is their um, tag team finishing move. And I, they, they had me there. I'm like, oh, crap, like, Bishamon just beat these guys. Like, one, two, Great Okan comes in and makes a save. And that near fall was so hot there. I think a lot of people had thought that Bishamon was going to win there. And then, yeah. um, you know, Empire fight back. And then they hit their uh, Imperial drop uh, combination onto Yoshihashi. Um, and then Cobb's able to hit the tour of the islands. And they, they get the big win here. So, overall, thought there was a lot of great near falls in this matchup. And like you mentioned, the the meat of the match, you know, there was a lot of heat on Yoshihashi, them kind of beating him down, cutting Goto off and to, until Goto could finally kind of come back in there and even things up. But but even then, they still kind of overwhelmed the, the Chaos team. And there was that last shimmer of hope there towards the end with the, with the Shoto. But overall, it was United Empire dominating. And I thought this was a really good tag team match. I liked reading the translations of the post-match uh promo that great Okan did because apparently one of his like catchphrases he tells everybody like we are the united empire hail us and it reminds me of like acknowledge me but it's <laughs> hail us so you know uh that's pretty raw but uh 
during the post-match backstage comments, um, as they were kind of celebrating, it was cool where like Jeff Cobb pretty much was like, yo, we'll fuck up any team anywhere in the world. It doesn't matter who they are. And he named like every team like in New Japan. And then he also was like, I heard FTR, they're talking shit, talking about they'll come take these titles. We'll fight them. We'll fight the Briscoes. We'll fight the Young Bucks. Doesn't matter who they are. They can come here. They can fight us. And I was like, okay, yeah. I'm like, I'm down with this. But instead, we got Folly and Chase Owens walking up on them. And I was like, no, that's not, <laughs> that's not what you said. <laughs> you invoked the name of the Young Bucks and instead Chase Owens showed up. What the fuck? <laughs> but, um, yeah, the uh, Bull Club team of Chase Owens and Folly basically said that they want a shot. And then Bishamon came out and they're like, no, forget these losers. They're behind the line face us and like dude you just lost they're like yeah and even in losing we're still a- ahead of you in the trajectory of the tag team division <laughs> like and um you know it pretty much basically created a three-way situation so if anyone's wondering about the dantaku announced card that's how we've arrived at a three-way situation for the tag titles gotcha uh, we did have a question here from MJSPR. It says, what tag team made the most out of the pandemic? Dangerous Techers or Bishamon? I mean, is Goto getting, uh, you know, New Japan Cup wins and, and world title, you know, challenges? Is Yoshihashi the, uh, you know, you know the KOPW champion? You tell me. Well, yeah. Uh, the way I was going to say is actually, I think as a team, I, I could be leaning more towards Bishamon as a team making the most out of the pandemic where I felt like Saber and Tai Chi made more out of their singles runs during the pandemic. Even though Dangerous Tickers, obviously they were our tag team of the year last year. And obviously they kind of really did carry the tag team division a lot throughout the pandemic era. There was still a lot of shine on them as singles. You had Bishamon with Ishii in that great never six man run elevating those titles, which then transitioned into Goto and Yoshihashi getting their tag run. So I feel like all four guys did great work in the pandemic, but I feel like the pandemic really solidified uh, Goto and Yoshihashi as a team, whereas Saber and Taichi really raised their stakes in in the singles ranking during the pandemic. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I was just being facetious. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, if you really think about it, all four guys are coming from different starting points. Look at where Goto and Yoshihashi were pre-pandemic. And then where they ended up, I mean, they were kind of like in that era, that area of the company where like they kind of were lower mid card. And then through, like you said, the six man tag run, they got to the point where they're, they were viable tag team champions and kind of became like mid carders. Yeah. Verging on the upper mid card guys. Whereas like Zach and, and um, Saber, they were like, they weren't quite upper mid card, you know, they were, uh, maybe Zach was, but they were both, they were definitely firmly lower than world tag team status. And they used their opportunity to, to take that tag team ride that to greater success. And now they're both upper mid card and, you know, Zach's kind of verging on, you know, just outside the big six. So yeah, I think they all elevated themselves in different respects. Like you mentioned, I just think they started at different points altogether. Yeah, makes a ton of sense there. Now let's talk about our semi-main event here. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line. The champion, El Desperado, defends and retains the title 
against show 20 minutes and 33 seconds. Yes. If you um, told me that I would like a House of Torture evil match more than a House of Torture show match on the same card, I'd probably say that was an unlikely bet, but that's exactly what happened here. Not a fan of this match. Yeah, you had a show jumping Desperado uh, during the entrance way and, and them kind of uh, brawling throughout the match. Then also just a lot of the uh, show interference style and breaking the rule style. Several moments of pushing the ref down, using weapons right in front of the referee. Um, it, it's just really difficult to really enjoy these matches and, and to, to get into these uh, style of matches that show is working here. He's doing the the goofy face sell jobs now, and um, he ta- he takes these bumps. And he's making the most goofiest faces, and it's just so hard to to buy into him. Yeah, man, the pacing of the matches is not, you know, to my liking. Um, it's just so heavy on the cheating, so heavy on the outside. You know, just. I wouldn't say interference because there wasn't a lot of interference, but just reliance on props, reliance on the brawling, reliance on the weapon shots and everything like that, the ref bumps and all all that stuff. And it's like the heat segments are just so – I understand, like, you're a bad guy and you want people to dislike you and stuff, but, like, there is a breakdown between, you know, working – in a heel manner to where people don't want to watch you and then working in a heel manner to where they want to see you lose. And those are two totally different things. Like I'm apathetic to show losing at this point. I don't care whether show wins or loses. I don't want to see show compete on any level, which is so crazy because I thought he was literally like, there was a point where like we talked, I would be on the show and like hyperbole, like I would be speaking in a hyperbolic sense, but I'd be like, dude, he could be an IWGP champion one day. <laughs> yeah. Because that's yeah. how good he is. We call that man Show Michaels. Yeah, he's Show Michaels. So, um, and then the other thing too is like, you know, obviously we recognize how good Desperado is, but he's a far cry from what I like in the junior style. There are things I like about him. And I think, and don't get me wrong, I think he's very good. But I mean, when you compare him to, the names that have kind of been prominent placeholders in the junior division over the past, like, let's say eight years, your Kushidas, your Ricochets, your Will Ospreys, your Hiromu Takahashis, your Dragon Lees. I don't know if you kind of compare them to those names and you, you might see exactly what I'm kind of getting at. He's not really wrestling that like high risk, high octane, very wild, style of wrestling and he also doesn't really wrestle to that like upper level of technical style wrestling that i enjoy out of like say kushida and stuff like that so like i think he's very good but i don't think uh desperado is truly great in the sense of those guys and he is the like standard bearer of the division which to me kind of denotes that the division's at a down period and you would hope that him wrestling a guy like Show would be an elevation for both guys, but it's not. It's actually a de-elevation and makes both of them kind of come down to a lower level, which is not what I want to see out of the junior title, especially when it's on a major Sumo Hall show and in the semi-main event spot here. I thought this is the biggest disappointment of the entire night, honestly. 
Yeah, and you know, I know you said you don't care whether Show wins or loses, but I'm in the fact where I just don't want to see him. Like, I did not want to see him win this match, and there was like two uh, near submissions here with the the snake bite submission, where I thought potentially maybe they would have um, changed the title here. So I, I'm glad that Desperado retained because I do not want to see more Show uh, junior title matches. I'm sure in the future he's going to eventually challenge for title again. I'm sure at some point he's going to win the title and he's going to be in Super Juniors, but. I don't want to see him in a big spot like this, semi-main event on, on a card like this, which has been pretty entertainable from the opening to, to this point and kind of being a, a black eye on this card. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have much. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I don't have much more to add to it. I guess I am glad in a certain sense that Desperado won here. At the same time, I liked what they were teasing earlier in the year, the idea of him facing um, outsiders and doing fresh new things. And instead he's fighting show and, and, and not a version of show that I want to see wrestle anyway. So, you know, all around, this was a very disappointing affair. Yeah. So then uh post match, we had the bone soldier, Taiji Ishimori walks the ring and he challenges Desperado for the new title. You know, he said, Who's your next challenger? Are you going to challenge somebody outside the company, or are you going to, you know, challenge somebody else? He's like, I think you should challenge me. Um, but then, um, before you know, Desperado could respond to Ishimori, the lights cut off and comes back on, and the former All Japan Junior Heavyweight Champion Francisco Akira appears in the ring, opens up his jacket. He's wearing a United Empire shirt, and he said that he's going to be in Best of the Super Junior, and he walks away. So this is obviously. The big debut for Will Ospreay's protege. We've seen the videos. We talked about them. The videos of his his uh, protege coming in and burning the junior division. So, like we all assumed, it is Francisco Akira. He's going to be in best of the Super Juniors. He walks away after that, and then uh, just Desperado then accepts Ishimori's challenge. Yeah. So you know uh, that was kind of interesting. Um, Francesco Akira, his appearance. You know they built it up with a few video packages. I thought the video, we talked the other week about it. Uh, Uchari is the name, um, you know, which is means to burn. Um, they showed that only one time that I can recall on the actual, well, it was during that Cork and Hall show. So who knows? They might've been showing it on the, uh, the, house the other house shows, but maybe not. Who knows what kind of like setups they had for those shows. Um, you know, so there was a slight build to it, but then he shows up and the crowd seemed uh, kind of like sort of befuddled. Like there was a slight response, but there wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't the same kind of response. It's like, I don't know if you recall when like Ishimori himself showed up as Bone Soldier. I think people really responded to that. It seemed like there was a lot more establishment of him in the domestic region than there maybe is of like Akira, Akira Francesco. Or what's his name? Francesco Akira. Francesco Akira, yeah. But, um, you know, his whole thing, he, like, kind of cut a, a short speech and said, like, I'm going to fight you guys in the Super Juniors. See ya. And it's like, that's not till May. So it's like, all right, cool. See ya. Yeah, he kind of looked dumb. It's like, why don't you just you challenge for the title? <laughs> yeah, you could have challenged for the title. Like, what are you doing? But then, um, and then it's like, all right, well, and the whole thing with um, Ishimori, he's like, are you going to fight me or are you going to fight outsiders? And then an outsider shows up and then the outsider doesn't want to fight. And then he leaves. And so like, I guess it's cool that we're getting Francesco here in the super juniors. That's exciting. And that's fresh and new. But then before that, 
we're having to get Ishimori and uh, Desperado again, which granted, I did like their previous matches, I I guess, but I also don't think I was ever blown away by any of those matches. And generally speaking, I, I found Ishimori to be kind of repetitive and dull in that position at the top of the division. I don't know about you. Yeah, again, I think it really just depends on who he's facing and how motivated he is on that night. But, yeah, I mean, Desperado, uh, Ishimori, I mean, I think I like that better than Desperado's show. But, again, I'm not sure how invested I am in that, especially with Super Juniors right around the corner and knowing that Desperado's probably going to be the champion going into that anyway. So, not really invested in Ishimori challenging. So, see what happens. But that's what, that's what we're getting. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so I had some questions here. Um, so Viking Pain says, All Japan Pro Wrestling put a lot of time and stock in building up Francisco Akira, and he even won their junior tournament and junior title last year too. But now with him jumping ship to New Japan Pro Wrestling, wouldn't that look bad for New Japan and harm any possible collaboration? Yeah, I don't I don't think New Japan is trying to collaborate with All Japan, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing that Cork and Hall 60th anniversary thing, but... I don't think they're trying to make a, a long-term partnership with All Japan. I mean, New Japan, they're doing what they need to do right now to try and make up for lost revenue during the pandemic years. And, I mean, we've seen over the years, especially in the junior division, guys who kind of get poached or taken. We've seen guys from DDT and Dragon Gate, you know, Ibushi and Ricochet and guys like that, they, they come over into the Super Juniors and eventually just become a part of New Japan. And that's something that, New Japan's doing it for a while. They're the top dogs. They're the top company in Japan. Um, they're going to do what they need to do to increase their division and try to make money and make their product exciting. I don't think they can really worry about all Japan. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, uh, it, it and I mentioned this on the show a few weeks ago or maybe last week, it is different rules for gaijin talent jumping shit than it is for domestic dojo race talent it's just not the same thing right um hawaiian punch bv says on a scale of one to ten how awkward is francisco akira's debut do you think osprey should have showed up and hyped his debut up or is seeing osprey three times in one night going to be too much for the crowd i yeah i don't know if they should have even done it here if this is the way it was going to be i mean they could have probably benefited from him um potentially continuing to build up his debut the same way they did with Moxley with the uh, switchblade or what, what's his death rider. Yeah. Those death rider vignettes were really good and they built for a long time and we only got the one and then he just kind of is there, which kind of makes me question how invested new Japan is in him at the same time. They don't typically give anything like that to someone that they don't have some level of investment, but uh, the whole thing was a little wonky Maybe they should have had him get physical in some way or do something that was a little more impactful. The crowd just kind of seemed befuddled, and then he was there, and then he was out. Yeah, the whole thing was awkward, but I do think it would have been too much to have Osprey show up a third time on the night. That that would probably would have been overkill. Yeah, I agree. They, they probably should have teased out the his uh, coming a little bit more because to me, this is very similar to what we've seen in the past where you had Ishimori. There were several Bone Soldiers coming video. Then he debuted the big attack, and then I'm Super Juniors. Same thing with El Phantasma. We got several ELP videos, makes a debut, attack, makes an attack, 
And then he's in Super Juniors, he's doing tag stuff and you're on your way. So here again, we got this uh, this one promo video and then he just shows up. There was no physical attack. Super Juniors is still a month away. He the champion was right there. He could have challenged the champion. So it seems like it's it's just seemed a little bit disjointed to what they've done in the past with previous juniors that they've brought in. Um, but I am excited about seeing him in the tournament, and uh, they they probably should have waited until Don Taku for him to show up. Yeah. Um, Don Humble one one thoughts on the debut of Francisco Akira? Who's this guy, and is he any good? He's very good. He, like uh, the other commenters mentioned, is a uh, you know he's a talent from Italy, and you know kind of made his bones in the UK. Uh, he's worked prominently here in Japan over the last few years, uh, primarily in All Japan, and he was uh, their junior heavyweight world champion. He also won their equivalent to the uh, best of the super juniors last year, and uh, his work is pretty accessible. It's out there, so if you want to see him, um, you know, a Google search is out there. Uh, he's also been working recently in Rev Pro. We mentioned the match with uh, Gabriel Kidd, which was outstanding. He also has other work that's very, very good. So, I mean, uh, yeah, he's very good. And uh, I think he's going to be a good fit for the United Empire. Yeah, so right now I've only seen one Francisco Akira match, and that was the Gabriel Kidd match from Rev Pro earlier this year, and that match was freaking awesome. So if we're going to get more of that uh, in New Japan Junior Division, I'm, I'm all in on this guy. Um, he did incredible in that match, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing him mix it up. It, it's some fresh blood and, you know, getting in that Super Juniors and mixing it up with the Junior Division. All right, let's uh, move on to the main event of the show here, the IWGP World Heavyweight title match. The champion, Kazuchika Okada, retains and defeats the New Japan Cup winner, Zack Sabre Jr., 28 minutes and 25 seconds. Yeah, I um, I love this match. Like, I, I really, really do. Um, I think I would be, uh, I think it would be easy for me to say that this is, in my opinion, the pinnacle of Okada and Zack Sabre Jr. matches. Um, one of the absolute best matches in New Japan this year, uh, thereby, you know, anytime you say that a match in New Japan is one of their best. It means it's one of the best in the world, period. And, um, you know, I don't know necessarily if I would go as far as to say, like, this was better than, like, say, Osprey Okada from this year or maybe some of the other top-end Zack matches from the New Japan Cup because those seem to be, like, the highest-rated uh, stuff from this year. But this is right in that same league, and it might not be far off, but the way they wrestled this match, the stories that it told, the way it just cascaded uh, and flowed. This was just like art, honestly. Like this was some of the highest levels of art when it comes to pro wrestling and storytelling. And, you know, there was never a dull moment. These guys just wrestled at like a break, uh, breakneck pace and really put it all out on the line there. And, and like, you know, I, I know this sounds like a, uh, kind of crazy but like i think that they're continuing to like move forward the art of professional wrestling like even still and this was just another example of that i mean okada is just 
incredible. Zach's incredible. And I think when these two guys wrestle, it's magic. And they went out there and they knocked it out of the park again. Yeah, I thought this was a great matchup, great main event. Love the story. Zach focusing um, a lot of his attack on the the Rainmaker arm of Okada. So we're seeing several strikes to that arm, several um, submissions to that arm. Thought they did great work there. And Saber, uh, you know, being submission master, I love the spot where he was kind of like very easily able to get out of the money clip at one point and able to transition into another submission. And um, like I said, I just thought it was uh, so uh, well wrestled and just the, the story they told of, you know, o- of Saber getting Okada kind of trapped in these different holes and Okada having to fight back. And one of his uh, powerful weapons are, you know, being worked on and had that arm, you know, he would throw forearms, he would sell it, he would try and throw the Rainmaker and it would, it would be difficult. So I um, thought Zach did a great job there of kind of um, pinpointing something and kind of breaking down Okada. Um, saw a lot of great near falls. There was a great spot of Okada hitting the, the, the tombstone powder ever on the floor, um, which was great, which led to a, a spinning tombstone in the ring. Um, I, I, I bet for the uh, Zack Driver near fall, that that move has been yeah. uh, pretty protected. And I know a few people have kicked out of it, but um, I, I still bit on it because not many people do kick out of it. And so, yeah, that was a great near fall. There we got all the great like European clutch uh, style uh, near falls in the match as well. Um, then uh, towards the end, um, Okada was finally able to catch him with the, the landslide. It's the Rainmaker and retains the championship. Yeah, one of the the hallmarks of their uh, feud, like you mentioned, has been um, Zach attacking the arm to try and neutralize the Rainmaker threat. Uh, at the same time there's always kind of been two key things that happen and they continue to play out here in this match. But as compared to say the match from four years, it was a lot more advanced. So one thing obviously is with the counter wrestling style of Zach, he always is able to kind of put Okada in precarious positions and really uh, have very inventive counters to a lot of the offensive moves that Okada comes up with. And so that sort of really kind of came into play here, but even more so than ever before. I mean, this was the most, uh, uh, maybe the most in a long time that I can recall seeing the offense of Okada just countered. And, you know, oftentimes when someone is very familiar with Okada, they might catch one of his moves and, and have a defense for it on like, say one occasion, but then the very next time that, uh, Okada goes for it in the match. He gets it. You know what I mean? In this case, it took Okada maybe sometimes two to three attempts to actually pull off his moves. And what I noticed was that sometimes it would be Zach actually catching the counter and then Okada needing to alter that counter and counter out of it to modify and actually pull off some of his big offense, like his drop kick, like the neck breaker, like everything, uh, you know, that we kind of come to expect. So there was like a very inventive sort of um, just different style and pace to this match. Uh, Like Zach caught more out of Okada than he ever has in any of their previous encounters. And then at the same time, another thing that always occurs in their matches is the Yave styling of Okada and how that's kind of a, a, a different art and style of submission wrestling that Okada knows and he does it's, you know, he does uh, utilize it in his matches, but to a much lesser degree than in the matches with Zach, where 
you know, Zach is doing a lot of uh, submission style wrestling. Like we're seeing Okada being forced to kind of play his Yave hand. And that kind of came into play in this match as well. So, I mean, seeing, seeing these guys like mix it up on the mat and like, just go like hold for hold, you know, minute for minute. This is, it's funny because like, um, I, I haven't talked about it on the show, but you know, you always hear people talk about like, oh, in the seventies, Briscoe and, uh, and Dory Funk Jr. They had these classics, but like I've seen the matches between Dory Funk Jr. and Jack Briscoe, and like I don't even think that they're standouts for the '70s realistically. I think like their reputation of being these incredible, you know, technical style mat classics kind of proceed. Like they're much more emboldened than the reality of the matches on tape that actually exist. But like Okada and like Zach smoke that shit, <laughs> like smoke it, and I mean. Zach is like probably the absolute best pro wrestling style technical wrestler that's out there. And then you match him up with Okada, who's probably the most all around. He's probably the greatest all around pro wrestler in wrestling today, especially on the main event level uh, style level. And anytime they're in the, in, in the ring together, it's just blow away. Another thing I liked about the match less than 30 minutes. So, I mean, they kept it on the shorter side and, um, the the uh the final thing at the end of the match where they're going counter for counter you know that's very typical of an okada finish but you know it seemed like only only since he's come back into the iwgp title picture have we started to see those very elaborate style finishes kind of got away from that a bit when he was sort of on the undercard and now that he's back at the main event we're kind of seeing that play out again, which is something I love. And uh, this one was really elaborate. It was going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then, uh, you know, Zach hit him with that spinning counter DDT off the uh, turnbuckle. Yeah. And then kind of transitioned that into what looked like to be a Zach driver. And it was like, oh, fuck, he got him. And right when he has him up, it just turns the opposite way. The momentum just goes the opposite way. And like Okada has him. And it's the landslide. And you're like, oh, fuck, no. <laughs> and, like, it really, really looked like Zach was going to win this match. And, like, I know on here we start we, – we were a little speculative, but I think we were both pretty firm that Okada's probably winning. But, like, in the, in the week prior to this match, everyone – all the diehard, like, real fanboys, at least in the West, like, in these, like, different chats and, and on message boards and Discord servers – they all started talking themselves into really believing that like Zach was going to uh, win the match so much so that like I was on a, on a Reddit, I saw a Reddit poll and I think like 60 something percent of the people that were polled thought like Zach was winning. So I was like, Oh fuck. Like someone knows something like Zach's <laughs> he might win this shit, pull it out. But like alas, that was not to be, you know, he was devastated again. Post match. He did say he was like the last person to win the new Japan cup and not win the title was me four years ago and I've outdone myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And another story element that I liked is um, they did include a throwback to the spot that he used to beat Shingo in the new Japan cup, that rear naked choke um, that he used to yes. pass out Shingo. So that was a, a, a near submission towards the end of the match there. So building up on things he did in new Japan cup to, Potentially think that he would win the same way here also was a, a good touch also. Well, during the post-match, too, he was like, you know, I should have tried to submit him, and that was my undoing. Like, I I tried – I should have used Techers, 
but I went for an impact move and I tried to use, uh, you know, the Zach driver and that's what, that's what caught me. And he was like, and I knew I shouldn't have gone for it because I didn't get everything on that, uh, spinning DDT anyways. He's like, if I'd really landed that. And if you recall, like the, it, that DDT was a little sloppy. He like yeah. worked that into his promo. He's like, if I'd gotten everything on the DDT, maybe I could have landed that in one. But I knew I didn't get everything on that, and I I let my, the moment get the best of me, basically. So I'm like, man, that's some good shit. Like, that's the, <laughs> that's the stuff in in New Japan that is just so awesome. Um, yeah, this match was was just phenomenal. If you haven't seen it, go out of your way to watch it. I mean, is it possible that something else this month could be better? Uh, you know, the month isn't over and we've still got Windy Seed Riot coming up, so possible, but that's going to be a tall order. This match was outstanding, and I think it's probably the lead contender for match of the month for sure. Uh, where are you, Snowflakes? I'm four and three quarters in this one. Nice. I'm uh, four and a half. Yeah, I just, I, I could see that, but I, I was just enthralled the whole time. Like, there, this was... um you know, people talk about like perfect wrestling matches. And to me, this was nearly a perfect wrestling match. The only thing that could have like maybe elevated it to that next level was like if if they'd gone into even a higher gear, you know, like an Omega Okada type level gear. But in terms of just like the actual wrestling, I mean, I, I can't, it, it was perfect. It was a perfect match. They had, they told an incredible story. And like, I love every, t- every time these guys like, mix it up and i think that this was the best one they've done yet so uh this yeah both yeah. these guys are both these guys just, both these guys <laughs> yeah they're, they're knocking it out of the park this year and like i hope that we see them again in the g1 this year yeah definitely um after the match we had um okada challenging to see a naito um you know he said he you know he beat naito earlier in the year but uh then he lost naito in the cup so he wanted a rubber match and he was waiting. Naito didn't show up, so he was like, "Oh, maybe Naito went home." But then eventually, Naito did uh, come out and accept the challenge. The match is set for May first at Wrestling Dontaku. Uh, a lot of questions here on this one. So first, Viking Payne says, "Is Zack Sabre Jr. on the path of becoming the new Goto?" I, I can see how you could say that, um, you know. But the thing is, I don't know. I, I just I do judge domestic talent and Gaijin talent as two totally different things. Like. If Zach had come through that dojo system and they gave him title shot after title shot after title, I mean, how many title shots did Goto get? Like eight or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, Something crazy. And he never won. I mean, Zach's had like two in four years. Uh, And also, Zach is believable that he could at any point beat anybody and is a threat in any position and can be heated up at any time. Goto's at the point where, like, he can't be heated up really realistically like he can't be heated up like that time's passed he's a great hand he's a a really good upper mid card guy but like i don't think zach's anywhere in danger of being viewed that way at least not right now right yeah the ship has sailed with hiroki goto and if you're thinking about stocks like i still think like zach's there's still room to grow for zach's stock to go up i don't think goto's gonna get any higher goto's only gonna go down from here like i think he's uh, tag team roles are great for him you want to throw him in a, in a never title match. You want to get him back in the six man. I think that's kind of a good spot for him. I have a hard time seeing Goto get back to world title challenger status. Um, 
Next question here from Don Hui 11 Thoughts on minor fan backlash over ZSJ not winning the IWGB World Heavyweight Championship. In my opinion, ZSJ is a top-notch wrestler, but he's not World Heavyweight Champion top type of guy in Japan. Yeah, well, it's one of those things where it's like they did such a great job heating him up, and also this is the second time they've told the story. It, this, in particular, this... Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for exactly is, but this uh, this point here of contention where they heated him up, they put him in the spot, and he didn't win again is the very reason why I didn't choose him to win the New Japan Cup because I was thinking someone like a Jeff Cobb or a Great O'Conn made more sense from like they could really use the elevation and they wouldn't be hurt so bad by taking that loss since it's their first title shot ever. You know what I mean? Yeah. At the same time, I didn't count on the company doing such a phenomenal job heating up Zack Sabre Jr. throughout this tournament and, and not putting it on them. They He also did an incredible job just knocking it out of the park night after night, match after match, and just making himself into this killer and really credible, uh, you know, title challenger at the same time though, business is business. And like, do I think Zach could hypothetically be an a world champion caliber guy? I do. I don't, I don't totally agree with Dom homie 101's statement there at the end, but today, you know, right now, is he a guy that can headline the Fukuoka dome as the heavyweight champion? No, from that standpoint, he shouldn't have been winning the title. And so if you are upset, you do need to look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, okay, what would I have rather, if I'm a Zack Sabre Jr. fan, what would I rather have had happen? Would I rather them have not given him this opportunity and not gotten the shot, not gotten the main event, and just kind of been where he was all along, maybe lost to, say, like, Osprey earlier in the tournament, and that be the end of his run? And then hopefully... They decide to like heat him up in a G1 or some other like title uh, program later on, maybe this year, maybe the next year, maybe never. Who knows? Or would I prefer for him to have gotten the shot, elevated his stock, shown what he can do against the best guy in the world, and really kind of raised eyebrows in the process? Because at the end of the day, if you're being honest with yourself, there's no way he was going to win and headline the Fukuoka Dome on a one-month notice. Business-wise, that just doesn't make sense. So you got two options there. Either he gets the spot and loses, or he doesn't get the spot at all. You hope that he gets another chance down the road. Which is it going to be? Because he's not headlining Fukuoka Dome. It doesn't matter how much you want it to be the case. This company is too big and too established and has too lofty goals to take a chance on him right now to do that. It's just not feasible. Right, and like we've been saying for a while now, New Japan, they're all about catching up from the pandemic. They need to make money. Um, they need to get profits back up. And the last time they are most profitable, because Okada was the champion. So they put the belt back on Okada. This is the big 50th year anniversary. Like we've been saying, it, it makes a ton of business sense to keep the belt on Okada all year long. He's a draw. He does great business. They need to make up money. They're doing all these big dome shows throughout the year. They're doing all these big tournaments, these international shows. You you put the face of the company, you put all of the steam behind Okada. That's going to drive revenue. That's going to bring profit. That's going to help the business 
get back into a good place. And I know a lot of times people saw this the last title run. People, they get kind of tired of the Okada title run. He wins too much, yada, yada, yada. But if you look at the business side, just struggling with the business and making money, like Okada is the ace. He's the one that helps get gets them the profit they need to be able to run all these big shows. So from a business sense, like you mentioned, it makes a ton of sense on keeping the championship on Okada. And like we said, I, I see him holding the title through Wrestle Kingdom. I think he's the face of this 50th year anniversary. I can see him winning our Wrestler of the Year um, poll at the end of the year because he's having banger title matches. He's the face of the promotion this year. Um, and I just think this is, this is Okada's year. And he's been out of the limelight for the last couple of years now. I mean, unless something really serious changes, I, I think it's going to be hard for anybody in the world to beat him for wrestler of the year. Yeah. You know, and that includes AEW and that includes WWE and all the other indies and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, Let's commission 7252 says with the rubber match happening at Dontaku and Naito challenging for the second time, if he loses and Okada retains at Dominion against anyone else, who could the possible challenger to face Okada as a kingdom 17? I have Zack Sabre Jr. Shingo Takagi in the main event next year. Well, I mean, there's a lot of options. And, you know, both of those guys could potentially be challengers. I think that there's still a story to be told with Will Ospreay. Um, I think that there's also the very good possibility. It could be someone that you're not expecting, like, from the outside. Um, am I being too crazy and thinking that Kenny Omega is a possibility given the AEW partnership. I know that I know that some people are probably listening and they're not the biggest fans of Kenny and then other people are listening and being like, hell yeah, give that to me. But I'm just thinking like from a business perspective, if I'm teamed up with that company, there's like three guys I would possibly do against Okada in a dome if I had the opportunity. If I'm New Japan and I had access to them, uh well, I guess, that actually, there's probably four. You could do John Moxley. You could do Kenny Omega. You could do CM Punk. You could do Brian Danielson. All of those are, like, very viable, big business opportunities that are still in front of you that are fresh matchups that have never been done in New Japan. Almost everything else that's in New Japan has been done. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think another thing, too, we have to keep in mind when we're predicting Wrestle Kingdom we're, we're long with the days are gone of one night Tokyo domes. We're getting, right. we're getting at least two, maybe, maybe three. A, a third show. So maybe four. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> too, too big for one night. We're going to have the most stupendous Wrestle Kingdom ever. Um, most stupendous five night <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom tour. The Wrestle Kingdom tour. It's going to be eight nights, eight domes. <laughs> um, so you have to at least think at least two challengers. So. You, you could end up having, a, you know, an Okada title match against somebody from New Japan. And like you mentioned, maybe another night he's facing an outsider. Um, but as far as who maybe the, the main guy is, I mean, I think it's a kind of a blessing in, in disguise that Ibushi didn't get the title match here. And so there's, yeah. there's an Ibushi story that you could save and do some big business off of that. Like you mentioned, there's an Osprey story of Osprey finally beating um, Okada in the Dome. Um, so there's a lot of stuff they can do with guys there and a lot of stuff they can do with a lot of the, the partnering companies as well. Yeah, I think Ibushi is another great possibility. Uh, you know, another guy that we haven't mentioned, and he's been gone for a long time, 
I don't see Jay White and Okada mm. have never had a proper main event in the Tokyo Dome. They've had one Tokyo Dome match. It was on the undercard, and Jay White beat Okada. They've never faced off in that position. Uh, he's also a guy that we've long held on this show that he's overdue for a G1 uh, win. If it was me booking and we're getting everything, you know, set to go, provided that his uh, U.S. citizenship status, like, is all squared away, all that paperwork and everything, I'd probably have Jay White win the G1, and I'd probably have Jay White and Okada, like, headline the Dome at least one night. Yeah, that makes uh, a ton of sense to me. Uh, Hawaiian Punch BV says, if Naito loses to Okada, there's still a way that you can see Naito main event in Wrestle Kingdom. Would Okada have to lose a belt before then? Uh, yes, I actually do personally see a, a way where they could do that. It would involve Okada uh, or Naito winning the G1. And they could even, hypothetically, I don't know if they should do this. Maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't. They could face off in the G1 again. Um, and... Like you said, Jeremy, they got multiple nights of, of Wrestle Kingdom. So is it possible that we could get another um, night of these two guys in the Dome? Is that for one final time? Is that possible? Yeah. I mean, there's a part of me that says there we know that this match is past this expiration when it comes to the Tokyo Dome. So that's why we're getting this so many times here because they kind of know it's not a Dome-worthy event. But it's still a highly marketable match. I mean, they just did this match just like last month and it didn't have like the, they did it in a small arena and it didn't have like the greatest attendance, but listen to the, uh, the reception that it got in Tuma hall. Like the crowd was really, really into it. And I'm sure they're going to do big business at the Fukuoka dome. So it's not like the juice is already all out of the squeeze. You know what I mean? Right. So it, is it possible that they could maybe finagle their way into doing it one more time at the Tokyo Dome? Yeah, I think they actually could. I don't think that's outside their own possibility. I would say it's unlikely, but if if I was really dead set on getting everything out of this I possibly could, I might want to do that one more time. But that would probably be Naito goes over Okada in the Dome. Right, and then you could set up a situation where like, the second night it's Naito and Osprey you're doing that first time matchup um, for, for the title. You do the, the double goal, whatever the situation is. Somehow Osprey's involved in the mix. He faces Naito night two, and then you get a, a big fresh matchup for night two. Yeah, and that completely invalidates everything I said about uh, you know Mister Switchblade. So yeah. Uh, Dom Hoi 101 says, I didn't know that this wasn't the first hyper battle event that New Japan put on. So, what are some matches that I should check out that took place at hyper battle? I don't even know. <laughs> um, can you think of it? I mean, no, you probably can't. Um, no, yeah, because this is the first hyper battle I've watched. I know that it's a throwback show. It's, I have not, and I didn't have a chance to look up anything before we uh, started recording here. Like, I'm looking up hyper battle from years past so yeah i remember this being like a big event in the 90s into like the early 2000s but like i don't know if there was anything in particular so let me see here march okay so it looks like yeah this always ran like in march 
this is the first time that like early April that it's ever actually run. So let me just do a quick search and you can move on to the next question. I'll maybe, maybe I'll have a recommendation or something. I'll take a look real quick. Gotcha. Well, that uh, wraps up our review of Hyper Battle. We did get a lot of match and card announcements for what's to come next in New Japan. So we got the full card for Wrestling Dontaku, which takes place in the Fukuoka Dome, the Pepei Dome, uh, May 1st, one night show. So like we mentioned, the main event will be Kazuchika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito for the IWGP World Heavyweight title. We'll have Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Will Ospreay for the vacant IWGP United States title. El Esperado versus Taiji Ishimori for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Evil versus Tamatanga for the Never Openweight title. Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto versus Jeff Cobb and Great Okan versus Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team titles. Rizuka Taguchi and Master Wato versus Yoshinobu Okanamaru and Doki for the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles. Tangaloa versus Yujiro Takahashi and the show will open up with Tatsumi Fujinami, Shingo Takagi, and Hiromu Takahashi versus Zack Sabre Jr., Taichi, and Taka Michinoku. And Don Hui 101 asks, thoughts on the lineup for this year's Wrestling Dontaku? Um, I think it looks pretty good. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think this looks like a really great card following up this Hyper Battle card. I love, again, One Night Show, and we're, we, we're having, look at all these stacked title matches. I mean... Got a card full time matches and a big single matches. Another Okada Naito match will be great. Tanahashi, Osprey will be great. Desperado Ishimori should be fine. Uh, Evil and Tamatanga should be fine, but interesting developments there. Uh, the three way tag title match should be good. Uh, six or nine versus Kanamaru and Doki should be good. Um, Tangelo over Fujiro will be whatever. Um, Fujinami in there trying to fight for a fighting spirit uh, award nomination uh, will be fun. Um, so overall, I think this is a, another really solid card. Uh, I think this will be a card that helps draw in this uh, Fukuoka Dome, and I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Okay, nice. Well, while um, you went over that, I did find a couple um, recommendations. So um, these are probably just like three off-the-top recommendations from Hyper Battles of the past. So uh, March 20th, 1996. Shinjiro Otami versus Wild Pegasus. That's a pretty good match. Definitely worth checking out. Um, aside from that, on that same tour, uh, but on March 17th, 1996, there's a four and three quarter star rated match between Liger and Otani that is, um, you know, pretty memorable. But the highest rated uh, match from Hyper Battle Tours previously is actually Minabu Nakanishi versus Yuji Nagata from March 9th, 2003. So um, that's one that Meltzer never did rate, but it's got an extremely high cage match rating. So those are, those are like three highest rated recommendations that I can find. I think the only one I've personally seen is the Otani Liger match. The rest of them, I'm not as familiar with that. Uh, that Nakanishi Nagata one sounds kind of uh, surprising, but yeah. <laughs> Nakanishi in 03, he could go. So Nice. Um, so we also got some matches uh, announced for the Golden Fight Series, which is a tour that will be taking place in between um, in the time between we get to um, Wrestling Dontaku. So we had two title Are matches. Are these going to be televised? Yeah. So we got two title matches announced for the April 25th event. Um, so in the main event of that show, Taichi will defend the KOPW Provisional Trophy against Shingo 
and the never openweight six-man titles will also be on a line as Evil, Yujiro, and Sho of the House of Torture will defend against Tamatonga, Tangaloa, and Hiroshi Tanahashi. So on the rest of that card, we'll have Okada, Yo, and Yano versus Naito Bushi and Hiromu, Yoshihashi and Goto versus Bad Luck Fale and Chase Owens, Taka and Despi versus Taiji Shimori and Gato, Taguchi, Wato, and Oiwa against Saber, Doki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and then uh, Tomioka Hanuma and Togumakabe versus Tiger Mask and Yuta Nakashima. Then next week, we'll have uh, two Golden Fight series, one airing live, the other one airing uh, VOD. So on April 18th, the live show will have Fujita versus Oiwa, Wato and Nakashima versus Despi and Kanemaru, Taguchi, Makabe versus Doki and Saber, Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi, and Tiger Mask versus Fale, Chase, Gato, and Taiji. Tamatanga Tangaloa, Tanahashi and Jado versus All the House of Torture, Taichi and Taka versus Bushi and Shingo, and the main event will be Okada and Yo versus Hiromu and Naito. Then on the 19th, the video on demand show will have Wato versus Fujita, Taguchi versus Oiwa, Makabe and Hanma and Tiger Mask versus Goto, Yano, and Yoshihashi, Doki, Desperado, Kanemaru, and Zack Sabre Jr. against Fale, Chase, Gato, and Taiji, Tamatanga Tangaloa, Tanahashi and Jado versus House of Torture. Taichi and Taka versus Hiromu and Shingo in the main event of Okada and Yo versus Bushi and Naito. Yeah, so um, nothing here really is lighting my world on fire necessarily. It's just a lot of like preview tags, which is fine. Um, but, you know, I think obviously the most interesting thing here is that Taichi Shingo KOPW provisional trophy title match. We don't know what those stipulations that are being proposed are yet. I'm sure we'll find that out very shortly. And when we do, I'm looking forward to that more so than anything else in this, uh, you know, golden fight series tours, basically. Yeah. So then let's uh, jump ship now over to new Japan of America. We did have a uh, night two of the strong style evolved tour that aired here in St. Pete, Florida that we attended live. Uh, so the show opened up this week with the young gun Hikaleo defeating Andy Brown, uh, four minutes and 34 seconds. Yeah. Um, again, if you're watching this, uh, on world, which you should be, because this was a good set of tapings, upper left hand corner near the entrance is the social suplex crew. You can see us, you can see me. I'm like doing the big, like booze and, and, Thumbs yeah, down to guys yeah, and stuff uh, like that. During Hikaleo's entrance, I, I threw it with too sweet to him, and he stole, he, that man stared daggers at me that I threw it with too sweet. So then I tried to throw it down. He still stored, stored daggers at me. So this man was not happy that I, I was trying to uh, too sweet him. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't want the support <laughs> of the Ace of Podcasts, but that's all right. Um, Hikaleo versus Andy Brown was fine. You know, it was Hikaleo coming out and uh, giving some hope spots to Andy Brown, who is a. Uh, WWN guy kind of well known in the area here and uh someone who I think actually is uh you know looks are sort of deceiving I think he wrestles better than his um physique would give off and I think he kind of showcased that here but ultimately it was uh you know just a little bit above a squash match here Hikaleo looked impressive in in victory and defeats Andy Brown four minutes 34 seconds yeah and uh Tiger Hattori was on the call for this match and he had a hilarious line so Andy Brown's like, hilarious is a uh, thick daddy he's like oh yes he does look like a thick daddy <laughs> yeah. yeah I heard that it was really funny uh so next up we have the walking weapon Josh Alexander defeating the Alpha Wolf Carl Furtick's, uh 14 minutes and 14 seconds you know 
live, I liked this match, and watching it back on tape, uh, I wasn't the biggest fan of this match. And you know why? I think it was mainly because Josh Alexander kind of ate up Carl Fredericks for most of the match. And that didn't really come through to me watching it live. I don't, you know why too? This is the very tail end of the tour uh, or, or of the night. These were like the last four matches of the night. If I recall, or well, maybe not. The Hikaleo match was the first match of the show. Oh, that's right. So they like really cut this stuff up, huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. But um, anyway, that throws my theory out. The, out but, the Josh, but the Josh Alexander match, I think that match was later on, though. Okay, gotcha. Because I was like, man, I just like, maybe I wasn't paying as much attention by then. Because it was a long show. And I know like at the tail end, I, I, my energy was like dropping in, in hour four of the show. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Alexander just kind of ate up Carl Fredericks, which, you know, we've kind of seen, um, you know, Carl, Carl Fredericks has, like, been losing a lot of the singles matches he's been with veterans. And then the, the matches he has been winning, he's been going life and death with guys that I think don't deserve to be getting as much shine against him. And that that was kind of on display here again. And I get it. It's Josh Alexander. He's one of the top guys in Impact. But, uh, you know, he got, I would say, 80% of the offense in this match. He ends up beating Carl Fredericks in a good competitive match, but still one where I just think that they should be giving more to Carl. And then at the end of it, they did the same thing that he did with uh, Christopher Daniels and I think a few other guys where, you know, he's he's like forlorn in defeat and then he shakes the guy's hand and, you know, the other guy raises his hand. And, like, I'm used to the young Lions, like, being pissed after they lose and, like, basically, like, being like, fuck that don't shake my hand i don't want to be friends with you you know what i mean yeah but like carl frederick's been like oh shucks guy you know? <laughs> yeah well, I, I, well, I, I don't think that helps yeah but it's kind of feel like this this is him losing led into this uh storyline which happened after the match we had qt marshall nick Comoroto, and uh aaron solo from aw the factory they came out here made their new, new japan debut and um, pretty much running down to LA Dojo, running down Shibata, and you know, telling Fredericks he needs to come and train at the factory. Look at what the factory's done for Kamarodo and Aaron Solo, and Solo has wrestled Liger before, and uh, really just kind of burying the dojo, putting over the factory. Um, Fredericks, of course, refused to join the factory. He was getting a beat down. Then we had Yumura and Clark Connors come down and make the save, and then they. Uh, Dojo, LA Dojo made a challenge to the factory for Windy City Riot for a six-man tag. Yeah, so uh, it was very surprising live when this occurred because, you know, we didn't expect to see these guys from AEW show up here. So, I mean, that was kind of like, uh, and we'll talk about it in the news, but, you know, another key indicator that there's even more to this, you know, alliance between New Japan and AEW but uh, at the same time, it is QT and it is Nicaragua, so it's not like you know the tip tip top AEW stars or anything like that. But it, it was still live in in the crowd and the audience. That was pretty cool. And I guess if you're watching at home, that's probably a, a little bit of a shock. But uh, yeah, at the same time, I'm like, damn, like I'm I'm I, I don't know, like I'm not buying Carl Fredericks right now, and I feel like they need to be giving him more. Yeah. Well, maybe the storyline will lead to him getting some more. I guess we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, but speaking of, speaking of top AEW stars, we did get one here in this next matchup. Uh, Eddie Kingston teaming with Fred Rosser. They defeated Daniel Garcia and Fred Yehi. 
Obviously, Eddie Kingston feuding with Daniel Garcia and the Jericho Appreciation Society over in AEW, and that rivalry spilled over here into New Japan Strong, uh, with Eddie just being in in enraged and incensed and going after Garcia uh, before the bell and just all throughout the matchup. Had the Jericho stuff already occurred before this? Yes. So they did okay. before this taping was when he got uh, Eddie got powerbombed through the table. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, because I mean during the post match comments, like Daniel Garcia, oh, he said something hilarious. He was like, "Just so you know, next time I'm in New Japan, I'm not here to be the king of uh, of sports. I'm here to be the king of sports entertainment." <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, oh, okay, did they already know that they were going with the Jericho Appreciation Society or, like, had that already occurred? I don't know. But um, I liked this match a lot. I mean, just the intensity between Kingston and uh, Daniel Garcia. I mean, that's very visceral and, and a continuation of the AEW storyline. Plus, Fred Rosser, uh, you know, I can't praise the guy enough. He's just been a standout this entire, you know, past couple of years that he's been in, in New Japan and vastly you know um outdone my initial expectations of the guy and then yehi is someone who i'm super high in as well and i felt like even though he had kind of a minor role here he just really is a standout and always like he just brings it he's a very violent very sound technical wrestler and uh all four of these guys i mean they got 10 minutes and this match just kind of breezed by it was awesome and uh you know, I, I, I could see them all wrestle one another again. I wouldn't care. I like this one a lot. Yes, match was a, a lot of fun. And with Yehi, I do hope that at some point they can get something a little bit more solid for him storyline-wise. He's kind of been kind of a floater um, since being on strong. But, yeah, really good match. Oh, he's a killer. <laughs> we got pillars, and he's one of the killers. Killer. Uh, but we did see um, a lot of intensity here. Um, Eddie brought a lot of life to the show, obviously getting a big pop for being AW guy and just – uh, the intensity he was bringing to um, Daniel Garcia uh, was good stuff here. Obviously, Fred Rosser is continuing his campaign to be um, the next strong challenger. So he uh, picked up the win here over uh, Freddie Yehi. Um, then we had the main event here, U.S. of J Open Challenge. First time where um, Jay knew who his opponent was ahead of time being Chris Saban. And because of the way this is aired, Technically, the multiverse of matches match during WrestleMania weekend aired first. So technically, this airing was the rematch of the WrestleMania weekend match where Saban got the win. So this was a rematch here. And Jay White does get the win. He defeats Chris Saban in 18 minutes and 12 seconds. Yeah, it was interesting because on commentary, they didn't give away necessarily that they knew the outcome of the match previously, but they did allude to the idea that had it had already occurred on tape, even though in reality this preceded it. So, you know, that's another one of those kind of hiccups with strong, but you know, they didn't break continuity too, too bad. Um, you know, the biggest difference here between the match that they had at the impact show WrestleMania weekend is Chris Saban defeated Jay white with like a roll up. And towards the tail end of this match, Chris Saban tried to go for his finish. What's his finish called again? The cradle shock. Yeah, I was. I always think it's like the shock era or something like that. Yeah, the cradle shock. And Jay White was able to counter out of that high-impact maneuver and catch him in the Sister Abigail. Uh, or what? Or what's he called? The, the Blade, Blade? Run, Blade Runner. The, the Blade Runner. I always forget. <laughs> the Blade Runner at 18 minutes, 12 seconds. So, 
very good match. Um, I don't know. Which did you – you were there live for both matches. So, I mean, you kind of have a unique perspective. I think you're probably the only person that was there for live for both matches from an audience. So, I mean, what did you think? Yeah, I think I like the second one a little bit better is because – Which is the second one? I don't know what – Well, I guess – okay, I like the multiverse of matches one a little bit better um, just because of these – I think mainly the prize element of Saban winning because, like we mentioned earlier, like Jay White doesn't lose very often – in yeah. um, one-on-one matches outside of New Japan. I think the impact crowd, it was a hot impact crowd. People were behind Saban, and I think just the fact that he was able to pull up the upset made that match a little bit better than this match, where I think going into this match, we were all kind of very confident that, yeah, Jay for sure is winning. Um, and with this being a more uh, new crowd, New Japan strong, I don't think they were as behind Saban as uh, like the impact crowd was. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. But um, I still thought it was a very strong outing. And not that you didn't think so either. I mean... Yeah, I I thought it was a great matchup. Yeah, yeah, obviously. And uh, I agree with you too. I I think this was a very good match. I mean, I think Jay's just like... Right now, Jay's the MVP of New Japan of America, hands down, because he's going out there at the top of the tour every single time and knocking out of the park with whoever it is they put him in there with. Yeah. Uh, we did have a question here from Ghost of Doc Gonzo, Doc Gonzo. With all the wins Jay White has been racking up over here in the States, do you guys think it's possible that we could see Okada defend the belt against White at Capital Collision? I wouldn't put it past them to potentially run some sort of promo or angle setting up something down the line, but uh, considering that they're usually running fairly minor buildings here in the states even for these larger shows that they're doing periodically i don't think that they would do that big of a match in that building especially considering the last time they wrestled in the states it was in madison square garden so i would say no yeah i mean it's yeah that seems like kind of a like i understand it makes i think it makes sense like story wise that jay's got all these wins and he can't get to japan quite yet so you do a, a big World title match, but I think, yeah, it would need to be done in a uh, bigger venue if that was going to happen. Like you said, I, I think Jay and Okada, you might save that for Wrestle Kingdom. So now let's transfer over to Windy City Riot, which will be happening this Saturday, April 16th, only on Fight TV. Even the Japanese commentary version you have to um, purchase through pay-per-view on New Japan World, so they're kind of going for a pay-per-view model only here for this show. I'm assuming at some point, maybe down the road, it'll be up on New Japan World, but it seems like if English, you have to buy through Fight TV, and then through uh, for Japanese, you still have to buy it through uh, New Japan World, similar to like a Taichi Takamania, where it's a pay-per-view on uh, New Japan World. Here's, Here's my biggest complaint and concern about this. Fight TV has never successfully pulled off a competent New Japan show in the States ever. Not once have they ever done this. Um, So I think like the idea that they want to charge me or anybody here in the States or, or abroad pay-per-view dollars after like, let's say hype like, let's just say, let's just compare it to the most recent outing that they had, which was battle in the Valley. 
I would never pay them money to watch a show with that level of production and that many production issues. It's just not going to happen, period. And it's a really bad, we've talked about it in the past, it's a really bad look for the number two or number three company in the world to be putting that kind of effort forward uh, by partnering with Fight TV and requiring people to pay these larger, you know, um, dollar amounts for a show. Now, I, I understand, I think that they they probably believe that they've got a a match in Moxley and Osprey that will draw well on Fight TV domestically. I've gone into depth in the past explaining why I believe that the pay-per-view model is a mistake for New Japan and that, uh, you know, terrestrial distribution is going to be much better on through a television provider that's garnering them, um, you know, ad revenue as well as, you know, the long-term play of uh, getting, you know, rollover money month over month through um, New Japan World subscriptions as opposed to the short-term play of pricey pay-per-views, especially when you don't have television to back it up. So I do think that this is a mistake. And I will tell you, um, I'm probably not going to watch this live. Or if I do, like, I don't know, I might wait for the replay because I can't see myself shelling out. How much is this? $20, uh, $25? Yeah. $24.99. Yeah. And I mean, uh, now if it was, if they were putting on the kind of productions that access TV used to put on. And I also wonder like if they, if they're back on access, why can't we have this aired on access? Like in the olden days, that's when things were really good. And I mean, that would really help their viewership, but you know, they're not doing that. Um, you know, I would maybe pay for it if it had that level of production. But considering what we've gone through in the past with Fight TV, I, I'm just I'm not going to do it. And I don't. I'd be surprised if they have the levels of success that they're hoping for. You know, especially coming off WrestleMania weekend, especially coming off of all those big shows, the Ring of Honor show, and the AEW pay per views that have been on the calendar, and WrestleMania and everything. I mean, it's a very flooded, saturated market. You know. Yeah, I mean, I do think Moxley and Osprey is a huge matchup that a lot of fans are interested in. I think just from that standpoint alone, I think people are probably going to try and give Fight TV a shot to to watch that matchup. And overall, I mean, it's top to bottom, it's like a pretty good show. Um, so I think people will probably give them a try. Like you, I am. I'm very leery on uh, Fight TV, like like you mentioned. Uh, U.S. Even internationally, remember Royal Quest, uh, the U, that UK yep. show, that was a disaster. Um, Fight TV yep. has just not been very reliable in uh, streaming uh, New Japan shows. And um, I think if I'm New Japan, maybe you use that AW partnership to get some of their production because it seemed like the Ring of Honor went fine on Fight TV, but also they were using, um, you know, the AW production. Um, so, yeah, that, that's going to be an issue here. They definitely, with them being back on access, they should look back into, like you mentioned, airing uh, live on access using access TV production. But again, I guess I don't know what their deal is now compared to last time. And uh, with impact kind of being the, the owner of, and of access and how all that works out. Um, but yeah, fight TV here. It, it, I mean, this could again, ruin a really great show. Yeah. So um, let's go through the show very briefly. Just a quick, um, you know, preview here. So, 
Uh, first match of the night, we got QT Marshall, Aaron Solo, Nick Comoroto, the uh, the factory. They're going to be taking on the uh, fight team from the LA Dojo, Carl Fredericks, Clark Connors, Yui Mora. Quick thoughts on this and predictions. Uh, should be an interesting matchup. I'm going to go with the LA Dojo guys getting the win. Yeah, I'm going to go with the LA Dojo guys as well, although hypothetically, if you wanted to continue a feud between these uh, factions, I mean, who knows? Maybe post-match there's some sort of attack or maybe uh, you know, the, the factory cheats to, to get a win to set something up for down right. the line. So. Well, we do, we do know there's, a, there's already a match that was taped for Mutiny, a, a tag team match. So, I, oh, okay. So I guess it is possible the factory gets to win here to, to build that Mutiny match. Yeah, that might be one to look out for. I'm going to go with the – I'm just going to ride with the LA Dojo boys. But, uh, you know, something obviously needs to pop off here to probably prompt that match at Mutiny. So, yeah. Next match, we have uh, the Chicago Street Fight. This is the one that's been set up for a little bit while uh, here. We got Dave Finley, Juice Robinson, and their mystery partner. This is now confirmed? Yep. Okay, and they will be teaming with Brody King to take on Shane Haste, Jonah, and Bad Dude Tito. So, uh, Jeremy, thoughts here? This should be a fun, uh, wild brawl. You know, in the post-match, uh, Finn Juice said they they want somebody who can bring violence. So, obviously, they got uh, Brody King here. And it's going to be a little bit weird because, like we've mentioned, uh, you know, Brody King, yeah, previously, he was a babyface on New Japan, but then... Now in AEW, he's a heel. He's part of House of Black, and we have been seeing continuity with AEW presentation on New Japan Strong. So um, it's kind of weird here that they're they're teaming with Brody King, and I wonder if it's something where Brody eventually leaves them to uh, hangs them to dry, and he leaves them. And they're they're stuck with a three on two against um, the Mighty Don't Kneel here. Um, so I I'm gonna go with the Mighty Don't Kneel to win this. Um. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably not a, I don't know. I, you know, I'm going to change my, my whole thing. I think the kingdom is, or the kingdom, <laughs> the factory is winning the first match. And then I think the, uh, the good guys are going to win this second match just because I don't know, they should. Um, but I believe what should happen here is because Tony storms on AEW, she's dating juice Robinson and, uh, Brody King is from AEW. Julia Hart has been infected with some black mist from the House of Black. So I think we're going to see the Varsity Blondes show up in this with Julia Hart. Then all of a sudden, Tony Storm comes out. You think Tony Storm's a good guy? No, she's evil. She's House of Black. All of a sudden, oh my God, uh, Julia Hart, she's House of Black. That's going to establish a tag team with those two girls back on AEW. All of a sudden, oh my God, David Finley, he's House of Black. So is Juice Finley. And then fucking uh, Fit Finley's going to come out. He's House of Black. And then guess what? Swaggle comes out. He's, he's fucking House of Black, too. Okay. Oh, man. And I don't think the Mighty Don't Kneel can handle that many evil, you know, henchmen from the House of Black. So there's going to be a lot of mist in this match. <laughs> A lot, a lot of tables, a lot of mist. Yeah, will we'll be uh, definitely a wild one. With the next match, we have a 
We got Great O'Connor, Jeff Cobb, Aaron Hanari, TJP, Mark Davis, and Kyle Fletcher, the United Empire. They'll be taking on the Bullet Club team of Hikaleo, Chris Bay, El Fantasmo, the Good Brothers, Carl Anderson, and Doc Gallows. And for the first time teaming with the Bullet Club, Scott Norton, Scott Flash Norton, which is interesting because in the past, he's been part of Team 2000, NWO Japan. And if you recall... During uh, New Year's Dash a few years back, he faced off against the Bullet Club team, teaming with Team 2000. And during that match, Kenny Omega walked out, offered him a Bullet Club shirt, said, you could be with us, be like the old days. We're we're the new NWO Japan. You'd be with us. And like he rejected them. But somehow he has now come into the fold of this modern Bullet Club. So like, is Scott Norton a mark for this shit? Or, like, what's the deal? <laughs> He's a mark for the paycheck, brother. <laughs> uh, yeah, this should be a fun matchup here. I'm going to go with Bullet Club getting the win to set up Good Brothers challenging Cobb and O'Conn for tag titles. I'll go with Bullet Club because it's America and it's bu- 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 Bullet Club. <laughs> Um, next match, we have uh, Fred Rosser, Chris Dickinson, Josh Alexander, and Alex Coughlin, as well as Red Narita. They'll be teaming up to take on Team Filthy, Royce Isaacs, Jarrell Nelson, Jer Kratos, Danny Limelight, and Black Tiger. So interesting that we got Black Tiger here teaming with Team Filthy, but no Rocky Romero. So actually, they did just announce a pre-show dark match for Winnie City Riot where Rocky Romero will be ta- teaming with Wheeler, Utah to take on the team of the DKC and Kevin Knight. That's interesting, too, because recently on the last tour, we saw DK, or we saw um, Wheeler, Utah team with Rocky Romero as Chaos, but that was via his... Uh, you know, best friends membership, but he's no longer part of the best friends. He's now part of the Blackpool Combat Club in AEW. But I guess he's still. It's like I've always said: once you're chaos, you never stop well, being. Chaos. Yeah, the graphics ha- says chaos underneath <laughs> Rocky and Wheeler, Utah. Wait, so do you think that this means that in AEW, best friends are chaos, but? In New Japan, Blackpool Blackpool Combat Club and Best Friends are both chaos. So, like, Brian Danielson's chaos, Wheeler Utah's chaos. John Moxley. John Moxley's now chaos. William Regal. And, and so is William Regal. They're all chaos. I, I don't know. I don't know if the, the off. I don't know if Okada extended the offer to, to Mox, uh, Danielson, or uh, Regal yet, but... Bro. Okada doesn't extend offers to anybody to come into chaos. He doesn't know who's in chaos. <laughs> he, he like is way above that. He's just focusing on the world title. Who do you think if there was someone that's like offering, I think it's Yano is the guy that offers the extension. I, I think it's Rocky. Food. I think, you know, Okada is like, you know, the, the off, like the president of chaos, but Rocky is like the one, like that's making all like puts everything in action. So I think on the U S front, he might be, Yeah, but like, I'm pretty sure Yano, like, oversees Rocky. Mm. Like, Yano's Rocky's boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah. This, and, 
this this multi man match uh, should be good. I think that the main thing here is continuing Rosser going for trying to prove that he deserves a strong title match. So I'm going to say that uh, Rosser's team is going to get the win here. Yeah, um, that's probably what we're leading to. So that makes sense. Um, the last four matches of the night, this is where we start getting into the strong singles matches. Um, we have a title match, the NJPW Strong Openweight title. It's Tom Lawler defends his belt against Yuji Nagata. Yeah, this should be fun. First time Philly Tom's getting a one-on-one match on one of these New Japan U.S. Uh, pay-per-view shows. He's getting, as he likes to call him, blue just ass, Yuji uh, Nagata. <laughs> um, so this should be you know, a fun match up here. Uh, Philly Tom and Kojima was really good. Um, and that's a strong title match on strong. And now he's mixing up with Yuji Nagata. Should be a great match, a great match to highlight Filthy Tom and have him defend the title against a domestic um, challenger. So I'm going with Filthy Tom retaining here. Yeah, uh, very much looking forward to this. Um, I liked, like you said, the Kojima match, and Nagata's even better than Kojima in these days. So this oh, one will be even better. Oh, oh. This one will be even better <laughs> than that one. But I do think Tom Waller's going to retain just because he's got a date with uh, Fred Rosser down the line. So. Um, after that, we have the US, US of J Open Challenge as Jay White will be facing the much feared TBA or Tiba, as he's known in some parts <laughs> of the country. And, uh, you know, this Tiba guy, I haven't found too much tape on him, but I hear that he's, he's a rough customer. So um, I'm going to take Jay, but you never know with this Tiba guy. Yeah, I mean, they're in Chicago. Do they, they pull a some Chicago native? Oh, it's going to be CM Punk. Uh, I don't know about that. I'm thinking more like a Colt Cabana. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be, I think Jay's going to win. So I'm thinking like somebody like Colt or some, you know, a Chicago favorite, but somebody that Jay. Warhorse? Mm. Danhausen? If Dan Marco Stunt? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who it's going to be. Yeah, but I'm, I'm just going to go with Jay for now. Yeah, Jay's going to win. Um, hopefully it's someone good and hopefully it's something interesting. So we'll see. Um, the semi main event, we've got, uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Minoru Suzuki. These guys, every time they, they mix it up, it's blow away. And, uh, it's going to be very violent. A lot of headbutts, a lot of chops, a lot of forearms, a lot of punches, a lot of kicks. I mean, this is going to be strikers galore. So yeah, it's going to be an awesome matchup. Going to go with Ishii here, and if Suzuki is still a TV champion going into this matchup, then this could either become a TV title match or it could set up Ishii getting a TV title match in the future. Yeah, I'm, I, I agree with you. I'm going to ride with you. And then the main event, we've got uh, the Death Rider, John Moxley. First time ever match between him and uh, Will Ospreay. And, you know, they just put out the uh, video VTR package for this, and they did a pretty good job putting together a pretty compelling video package. So I, I don't know, man. This is a tough one. I mean, you got Will Ospreay, who is you know a former world champion in this company. He's a tip-top guy. He's a major player, you know, not only in the States, but also in Europe, also in Japan. And he doesn't need a lot of losses. But then uh, at the same time, you got John Moxley, who's like, one of the absolute tip-top guys in AEW, someone who's very highly protected in New Japan. 
Uh, both guys, they don't take very many losses. And like, I don't know what to expect here or if this is a one-off, this is leading to something else. Like, I don't know. What do you think, man? This is a, this is a pickup. Yeah, man, this is a very difficult one, especially when you look at Osprey's schedule. He has a U.S. title match coming up. He's defending the Rev Pro title coming up against Suzuki. Um, he has he's defending the Warrior Wrestling title, I believe, against Blake Christian coming up. Though Osprey has a lot going on, and he's a champion all over. So eating a loss here uh, could hurt him. And then you look at John Moxley, top guy in AEW, from AEW World Champion, doing this uh, Blackpool Combat Club stuff with uh, Danielson and Regal right now on a real hot streak since he's returned um, back to action. And, you know, there's got to be some politics at play here. Does TK allow his top guy to go and compete against them? Because AEW Battle of the Belts is Saturday also airing at the same time on uh, yeah. TNT. Does he allow one of their top guys to go over and compete against them and then lose? I don't know. To me, I'm thinking, I'm I'm leaning towards Moxley, and I'm going. there's going to be some disputed finish. That's going to continue Osprey's storyline of New Japan screwing him. Because if you remember in the Tanaha, in the Sonata promo where he came right. out, he kept talking about how all the different ways that New Japan has been screwing him in the, the past few months. So I can see some kind of wonky finish here where Moxley wins, but Osprey has a dispute to why he sh- didn't lose, and then that could be added to his list of you know New Japan also screwed me in Windy City Riot. That is very probable. At the same time, right now, John Moxley is not in contention for any world titles. He's not necessarily um, carrying anything to the point to where, you know, he needs to be protected on that level. So I do think it is possible that he could take that loss and be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm going to go with. Will Ospreay. Um, okay. I think that John Moxley could be be fine to eat that pinfall this one time, and then later on down the road, might be in a position to get that win back from Will when maybe it matters even more. Right, and I think another thing to keep in mind too is the whole United Empire is going to be in the building here, except maybe minus uh, Francisco Cara, but the, the the whole other crew will be there. So maybe you do have you know. United Empire coming out here. I know typically they don't really interfere in each other's matches, but if you want to get Osprey to win in a cheating fashion, maybe you have those guys come out and help him win. Yeah, that's another that's another good point. So we'll, we'll we will wait and see. So that is going to air this Saturday night, and uh, we will bring you coverage next week. So uh, last couple things we got news, couple uh, questions. Yeah, we have a question here from Tim Smith saying, will any of the listeners be meeting up at the show? Ah. Um, you know, Josh and I won't be there, but I highly recommend that if you guys are going to Chicago, you should try and organize some kind of meetup before the show, hang out, find a bar nearby. You can hop in our Discord, hop in Voice of Wrestling Discord, Twitter, Reddit, and try and get people together and hang out before a show. Yep. That's a great idea, and uh, if we were there, we would try to do the same. So we got news, a few listeners' questions that we're going to jump to recommend a match of the week and close things out. So a couple news items here. Uh, first thing, New Japan is reportedly obtaining visas for foreign talent to come to Japan. Fightful Select reported this afternoon that for the first time since the COVID-19 pandemic struck in 2020, 
New Japan has been obtaining visas for foreign talent. They reported that several names will be brought in over uh, for the next few months, including the upcoming Best Super Juniors Tournament that's going to be taking place next month. So that report was from a few days ago. So that's really good news. That's a great sign that we probably are getting Gaijin talent very soon. Yeah. Um, also, uh, there was a big report. You, If you've been on New Japan World, you've probably already seen um, the results of it where AEW Dynamite is now going to be, and Rampage will be airing on New Japan World with Japanese commentary. Now, this is a Japan region-only feature. So if you're living in the States, you can't watch Dynamite on New Japan World. But if you are over in uh, Japan, you will be able to watch it both in English and with Japanese commentary. So, you know, just another further development of the kind of ongoing partnership between these two companies. Yeah. And uh, Shingo Takagi was on the call for uh, some of these dynamite shows and just somebody did a thread of, you know, translating a lot of his comments and they're uh, pretty funny. Some of the stuff he was saying uh, during commentary. So if you are a, um, you know, Japanese uh, listener and you're have new Japan world, I think you should definitely uh, check out dynamite, especially with guys like Shingo uh, doing commentary potentially playing the seeds for future matchups. Yeah. The other thing too, is like, um, i read some of the translated, uh, like Reddit posts of Japanese audiences that were watching dynamite. And a lot of them didn't seem to be too familiar with exactly what was going on, but they really almost overwhelmingly were extremely positive about what they saw about the commentary and about the access to that product which just makes everything about the idea of these two companies working together more so viable moving forward. So, you know, that's, that's a great thing. Um, next news item, Chris Dickinson announced on his Instagram that he is now signed with new Japan pro wrestling. So I don't know the details. I would have assumed he probably would have been signed in some form or fashion, but this seems to be an even more solidified status. And if it does mean it's an official, like, let's say, New Japan proper, um, like domestic uh, type contract, that's an excellent thing. But even if it's just a state side, you know, like New Japan strong contract, I mean, that's still a really great step either way because I think Chris Dickinson's one of the tip-top guys that they have here in the States. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, with the news of visas being handed out, I, I would assume that, He's one of the guys that they're they're fighting to get a visa for, and so I would love to see uh, Dickinson in Japan. Hopefully, we get him uh, in maybe for for G one or something like that. So yeah, very excited for Chris and uh, looking forward to what he's gonna be doing in New Japan in the future. Nice. This week, uh, Hulk Hogan versus Kijimuto is the free match of the week on New Japan World. If you've never seen it, this was a uh, match of the WWF champion versus the IWGB heavyweight champion in a special dream match from the first ever wrestling Dantaku in 1993 from the Fukuoka Dome. So uh, if you've never seen it, it's kind of required viewing. You got to see it. Really great match. We've covered it in the past during our recommended match of the week segment. Um, also in breaking news, um, Minoru Suzuki will be defending the ROH TV title against Samoa Joe on Wednesday Night Dynamite. So by the time this show drops uh, and you're listening to it, you, it either is shortly going to be occurring or it may have already happened, but uh, that's one to definitely look out. That's got excursion match of the year 
potential written all over it. Definitely. Rocky Romero will also be facing Jonathan Gresham on impact on Thursday. So keep that one marked on your calendars as well. And then finally, um, sad bit of news here. Uh, New Japan um, alumni Shinjiro Otani, he remains paralyzed following an injury that was suffered at the Zero One show on Sunday. Uh, company president Takahito Kami spoke to Tokyo Sports on Monday and confirmed that Otani's condition remained unchanged. Hasn't changed. He's conscious but can't move his limbs. Currently, he's being treated by a doctor. And as for the official diagnosis, we're waiting for a reply from the hospital. The 49-year-old took a German suplex into the turnbuckle during the night's main event and was unable to move after. The ring ropes were removed. Fans were asked to leave, and Otani was eventually stretchered out and taken to the hospital. He's been challenging the promotion's world. He was challenging the promotion's world champion, Takahashi Sugiera. And um, even uh, earlier today, I saw Dave Meltzer tweeting on this matter, saying that he was going into surgery to try and uh, see if they could uh, work to, I guess, work on the spine, see if there was nerve damage, and see if they could prevent any further deterioration from occurring here, but it's not looking good. So best wishes and thoughts to Otani and his family. And yeah, very, very unfortunate thing here. Yeah. It's always a sad thing where something like that happens in the ring. Yep. And then uh, Jeremy, you want to take us to the questions and get us out of here? Yeah. So a few uh, questions here. Last commission 7252 says, when will it be time for the young boy, Josh, to go on excursion? Well, uh, currently I am not in the ring, but I do plan to change that very shortly. I've been working on my physique and on my uh, um, cardio and strength and just getting myself more fit. I'm also working on um, different aspects of my uh, professional career, and I kind of need to take care of that primarily first and foremost. And once I have a couple of milestones out of the way, I will be back in the gym. I've been talking to Matt even as recently as last week. Um, in fact, I don't know if people know this. Uh, the side dojo has now merged with Jay Lethal's Lethal Academy slash wrestling lab. So they're now just one school. I don't know. It just happened. So I don't know the official details. Yeah, I did everything. see like Instagram post like Matt and Jay, you know, at, at the school. So I was a little, I thought maybe Matt was just visiting, but that's, uh, I didn't know that they realized that they uh, merged. Yeah, they're merged. So it's just one school now. The only thing I know is I'm paying. I don't care what anyone says. I'm paying the same dues I always paid. I'm getting grandfathered in under my rate. I don't care what they charge all those other <laughs> wrestling lab kids that sign up for, for the tuition. I'm not doing that shit. Like, <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, he also asked from any company, what is y'all's favorite heel versus heel match? He says his favorite is Triple H versus Kurt Angle. From the Royal Rumble in 2001. Kenny Omega versus Tetsuya Naito from the G1 in 2017. Yeah. Or that, 16 or whatever it is. That's a pretty amazing matchup, yeah. I'll go with that also. Uh, Dark Soldier says, serious question. Jeremy, have you finally given young boy complete and utter creative control of the wedding? Uh, no. no. I, don't have, I don't have any control. <laughs> no, I, I have not done that. Uh, Hawaiian put- Listen. If I have creative control, this wedding will be lit, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you guys. Oh, man. Uh, Hawaiian Punch PV says, uh, who did you have winning the match rematch between Jan and Sterling? I thought it was close, but not a robbery. I didn't watch UFC this weekend. I did not. Although, watch. I do need to see the um, 
Gilbert Burns versus uh, Chimaev match because from what I understand, it's fight of the year, but I, I didn't see any of it. So yeah. I can't really comment. Yeah, I missed this weekend's uh, UFC also, so I, I can't comment on it either. Um, he also asked, what do you think about GGG's performance? Do you think he should stay away from the tippy-top guys, or should he get the bag from the third Canelo fight? I also did not see Canelo Alvarez fight this past weekend. Uh, or, I'm sorry, Triple G either. All right, so we'll move on from that. Uh, thoughts on the upcoming three-belt, from Dom Homie 101, thoughts on the upcoming three-belt welterweight unification between Errol True Spence Jr. and Jordan's 54 Milagros Ugas. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. I was really impressed with Ugas against uh, Pacquiao. But, you know, I think Errol Spence is, like, the best guy um, out there that's not named Terrence Crawford. So um, I would assume Errol Spence should win. But, you know, Ugas, he's a tough customer, bro. Like, he really can fight. So who knows? He also asked, uh, which fight would you see GGG in GG versus Jamal Charlo or GGG versus Canelo? Triple G. Triple G. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he should fight Canelo and, and you know, like, get that money. I mean, that's the thing that makes the most sense to me. Um, I could be wrong here, but I feel like going up to 168 is going to be a benefit to Triple G at this point in his career. And, you know, they got a score to settle, and that's probably going to be the most money. I think fighting Jamal Charlo is going to be the high – way higher risk and much lower reward so nice well let's end here with recommended match of the week so let's talk about last week's pick first and then we will announce what we've decided to do moving forward with this segment of the show so last week i recommended um for josh and for listeners to watch zach saber jr first Kushida from april 13th 2017 rev pro epic encounters for the rev pro british heavyweight championship yeah, this match is awesome. And for a little bit of context, this match is occurring days after um, Kushida had wrestled Hiromu Takahashi um, at Sumo Hall in the match where uh, Hiromu just completely mopped Kushida and accidentally legit knocked him out within the opening moments of the match. And then they had to go to a quick finish and he just literally got like smoked within like under, I think it was less than two minutes. Um, this just a few days after that. So it's kind of like really interesting to kind of see Kushida come into enemy territory as a face. And then on the flip side, you got Zack Sabre Jr. Who's been this, you know, he comes in, Zachy three belts. I mean, he's got the Evolve title and the PWG title and the uh, Rev Pro title simultaneously. But he had just recently joined the ranks of Suzuki Goon. So this is kind of like the genesis of his big heel run in New Japan and thus in Rev Pro as well. And they went out there and they had an excellent, excellent, excellent match. And um, as crazy as it may sound, I mean, we've. You know, it's been a long time since we talked about Kushida on this show because he's been over there in the Fed and spending time in NXT 2.0, which probably was a bad career choice, but, you know, whatever. Um, but, man, he was so incredible technically. And even in this match, I mean, they really showed what he can do from a ground perspective and from a grappling perspective against one of the very best at the time, Zack Sabre Jr. And um, 
in my opinion, I thought he shown even higher and brighter than Zach did in this match. Now, Zach was still fantastic at the time, but the guy that really had that professional polish and that big league like shine to him was Kushida. And I felt like he was able to kind of guide Zach to an uh, even higher level than Zach probably was used to. And that's not knocking Zach. Zach was already kind of established as like the tip top, like technical guy. But I mean, comparing him in 2022 to 2017, I mean, he's grown immensely since that time. And he was kind of a little bit like still fantastic, but there was like some shindiness there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And um, yeah. Uh, Another thing too, like I loved a lot of the like throwback spots to like rings and to like early MMA pancreas UFC spots where these guys were doing dueling like leg locks and slap spots and everything like that. Um, But ultimately um, Zach was able to kind of overcome Kushida here in a very, very heated technical bout, um, you know, from your call, which I think is always one of the best crowds and best venues in all of, you know, the UK. And I, I always love watching wrestling from there. The production value of Repro is better in 2017 than it is in 2021, which is weird. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Just an awesome match. It's on New Japan World. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. I went four and a half on it. And, you know, if someone went higher, I don't know. I wouldn't really begrudge them on it. I just, I thought this was incredible. And, uh, you know, the end of it was Kushida pretty much outdoing Zach almost every time all throughout the match, but getting a little too cute with it and going for, you know, uh, what's that bridge that they do? What the... Uh... That Sabre does? Yeah. The European clutch? Yeah. Um, Kushida tried to go for his own European clutch after they'd done, like, a bunch of different counter, 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 and then Kushida tries to go to a European clutch, and Zach counters that into his own European clutch for the one, two, three. So he was able to kind of just barely get past Kushida, who I think was getting the better of him most of the match, honestly. Yeah, I would agree on that. Yeah, really good matchup there. So, all right, here's what we're going to do, guys, going forward for recommended match of the week. So, we threw the poll out there. Thank you to everybody who voted. Um, Seemed very equal throughout. One point in the poll was 50-50. A lot of the comments we get of, you know, why not do both? And, you know, we'd be happy with either or. Um, So, here's what we decide to do. Going forward, each week, we we are going to do both. So one person will recommend an excursion match. One person will recommend a normal style recommended match of the week. We will alternate those each week on who's doing what, but we'll be throwing out two matches each week. And then we'll give you the the options for those. Um, The excursion matches might be a little bit harder to find, but we will help you out with links to that. We will do both each week, see how that works out. If it's not sustainable for us to do review two extra matches a week, then maybe we'll end up going with one. But we are going to try and do both going forward. So this week, Josh has a pick for the normal recommended match of the week. And I have have a pick for an excursion match for us to watch this week. Yeah, ultimately, we felt like there was benefit to both of these things. I think... Uh, up until literally like a, an hour before we did the show, we were going to go just straight to excursion match of the week because we felt like a change might be more fitting. And ultimately, 
if someone wants a match recommendation at any point, we can give that to you guys. Plus, they always put a free match of the week on New Japan World that's usually pretty obscure anyways. So I think if this doesn't work out, we might revert to excursion match of the week. But we are, you know, we're going to try this format out where each of us give one another a match to watch and then we'll come back and review and then alternate. It does mean that when guests come on, we're probably not going to ask them for recommendations or anything like that just to kind of make it a little easier to keep track of and everything like that. Um, We did recently make the full list of recommended matches of the week available on the Social Suplex website. We did tweet it out as well. So um, if you're looking for that, that's now out there. It took me a lot of time, effort to put that together. So be thankful, my God. Um, And we're going to try and expand our efforts to make a lot of our awards, our monthly awards and our recommended matches more accessible to you guys in the future. But uh, um, without further ado, I'll give you guys the recommended match of the week and then Jeremy has an excursion match and then we will come back next week. And again, if this doesn't work out for any reason, we retain the right to, you know, change formats. Yeah. (laughs) But, but um, because we don't get enough Kushida in our life. And I just felt like this match was one we've never done. I felt like it'd be a good idea to kind of review it. Um, I'm going to kick it back to invasion attack, April 10th, 2016, the debut match of Will Ospreay in new Japan, challenging for the IWGB junior heavyweight title against Kushida. Nice. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen that match. So that would be a fun one to check out. And then for our excursion match of the week, we're going to go with Speedball Mike Bailey versus Minoru Suzuki from April 10th Game Changer Wrestling Show, GCW Devil in a New Dress. So uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, the you know weekend warrior of WrestleMania weekend, um, having a, a big matchup here against Suzuki, GCW. Heard a lot of good things about the matchup. Um, and you know, Bailey could be a guy that's potentially brought into New Japan strong more. Had a great match with Jay White, Lone Star Shootout. So maybe this match with Suzuki is more furthering that relationship. So we'll see what, what happens there. But this is the matchup Mike Bailey versus Mono Suzuki. Awesome. Well, I look forward to checking that out, and uh, we'll come back with our reviews of those and uh, you know, continue things next week. So Yep, and that's going to wrap things up for us here this week. Next week, we'll be back to review Windy City Riot and cover all the latest news. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. The network is at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We're Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle and Facebook.com slash Social Suplex on Instagram. We're at Social Suplex on Reddit on the Pro Black Guy. Just keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. Also, you can check out our Discord server, Social Suplex Podcast Network. Link for that is in the description for the show. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. 
All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin, the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam, the great match generator hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. It's Have a happy Easter, everybody. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.